sunny but underneath the surface lies a dark world behind your safe little havens that y'all call home beneath the surface there's an evil that festers and grows where the american dream goes dark this is the literary license podcast america goes dark episode your book to screen show where we head down a dark alley and discover the books the films and all the darkness in between with your co-host Leandro Gazi, Craig Johnson, David Grant, Vicky Ray, and Keith Shago. Things may look perfect on the outside, but what really goes on behind closed doors? Johnson, hello, Craig. Hello, guys. Leandro Gazzi, hello, Leandro. Hello, everyone. Vicky Ray. Hi, everybody. And I'm your host, Keith Chago, and welcome to the United Nations of the Literary License Podcast. <laughs> and we will do a better job, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get started, let's find out what we each been up to. We'll start off with you, Craig. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Yeah, um, I've just I've been watching a few things. I've I watched the Top Gun two uh, sequel. Uh, I've been watching Happy Valley. Um, Happy Valley, Happy, Happy Valley. Valley. Yeah, it's just like a, it's like a crime drama. Yeah, it's um, a BBC um, show. Yeah, it's pretty good. And um, the Great Pottery Throwdown. I've been watching that instead of the Bake Off. Um, it's really cool the stuff that they create. Oh God, the Bake Off! I love that show. Yeah, and. Um, 
yeah, that's it. We've just been working really and um, looking after my mum. She had some surgery and some things going on. So yeah, just been looking after her as Hope well. Hope everything came out all right. Yeah. So yeah, she she's she got the all clear. So oh, good. No good to hear, honey. So that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. So and what about yourself, Leandro? What have you been up to? Um, well, training. Back on track on training, I have lost. I don't know if I told you, I have lost like since I started last year 10 kilos. But still, awesome. track. yeah. Um, working, watching the movies, reading, not not much. Leandro, your, 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 your voice is enough to break hearts all over the world. Now you're just willing to kill everybody now. You're just going to keep <laughs> getting more cute. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, ladies, he's gorgeous. <laughs> and guys, hey guys, don't you don't come in on our show. Oh, god, oh my god, I'm sorry, please don't hurt me. I wasn't right. <laughs> All the gays who have a problem with Vicky's comment, please contact us. <laughs> and now we have no secrets on the literary license podcast. <laughs> oh, our lives are an open book. Hey, what about yourself, David? How are you? Um, I'm all right. Just work, 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 work. Uh, I've been actually helping a friend of mine who's doing his separate own podcast in Italian language for completely different things. Just he was asking for advice. And I was like, well, I'm kind of not probably the best person to speak to, but I'll do my best. So it's kind of like giving advice and listening to his creations of podcasts. Quite interesting. And then I've been catching up on some Disney movies, uh, anime, and then I marathon and finished a series of Wednesday. And if you watched it, the oh, recent one, I loved Wednesday it. Wednesday was brilliant. Yeah, it's quite I nice. I was going to hate it, but I absolutely loved it. I just get past the the original Wednesday in my head. Yeah, oh, she just Chris- passed away. Lisa yeah. Lauren just passed away. The original Wednesday. Oh, uh, well, I like the Christina Ricci Wednesday. <laughs> I love Christina. She, she's she's great. She's the but one Lisa who did Lauren, Castro. Yeah, as well. she just she passed away last week. Oh gosh, I didn't know this. So oh, the original yeah. Wednesday from the black and white Adam's yeah, oh, TV series. Oh. Okay. She's a beautiful woman. She, really she was. was. She I think she did some soap operas and stuff in America. She did as the world turn. She was cricket. And I didn't yeah. even put that together all those years ago that that was her. And she was one of my how did I not? I just college. <laughs> <laughs> drugs. Too many drugs. <laughs> Too many drugs, drugs. <laughs> Just say when no. You, when you come from a small farm in town, that's all there is. Drugs right. and tipping cows. <laughs> I've done that. And cows. Yeah, I did too. I used to cows all the time. <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah. And pick up and pick up frogs and squeeze them in the middle and watch the innards come out of their mouth. I wasn't <laughs> that, that bad. I used to love frogs, <laughs> but I didn't pick them up and no, we used to stick um, firecrackers up toads' arses and then, and then watch them explode. Oh, God, I'm so glad <laughs> I didn't hang out with you. <laughs> and what about yourself, Vix? What have you been up to? Not a lot this week. We had an ice storm. No one go to work. No one went to school. I mean, it was all week. But I did get a chance to watch some stuff. I rewatched Scream, the, the newer one, because I heard they're going to do another one. I don't mm. know well, how they're going to pull that off. Screaming but they did. Scream. They're going to. And I watched, I can't know if I can say this. I was watching Joe Bob. I meant to watch Anthropologist for a long time. And I finally watched it. Oh my God. <laughs> what a mess. But you have to watch it with Joe Bob commentary because it's the only way it's any good. 
and what was that? Room thirteen oh three. It's kind. Of, it's a. It's a sleeper kind of movie. It's. It's kind of intense, but it's a. It's a pretty good movie. There's not a lot of gore in it, but it's about you know thirteenth floor shouldn't be in there anyway, kind of thing. Oh, is that the John Cusack one? No, no, that's oh. the other fourteen oh eight. This is a brand new one. It's different, okay. but it's it's a lot different. But it's it's pretty good, I thought. Um, uh, oh, what's her name? Hand that rocks the cradle. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay. She's in Rebecca. it. Yeah, she's a red hot okay. mess in it. It was really good. And uh, I watched this called Viking Wolf the other day ago. It was pretty good. It was one of those okay. sleeper kind of thing. It was. It's a Swedish movie. Swedish movie. I don't know, there's Oslo, and yeah, but, it, but it, it was made over there. It's dubbed, but at least they dubbed it with the local people, so it's not totally off the mark. They actually sound Nordic, so to speak. And, um, oh yeah, Sick. It was, you gotta, Keith, you might appreciate Sick. I told you to watch it. My daughter told me about it. It's on Peacock over here. It's about a girl that did not wear a mask. It's sort of like unhinged with Russell Crowe, but this family's pissed because this girl did not wear a mask and people that they love got sick. So take it from there, you know? Okay. Yeah, it's rather it's rather interesting. Um, you might like it. It's it's, uh, it's pretty good, actually. I, th I thought, you know, Brittany Coleman's just gonna like it, Mom, straight up your alley. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And I watched Dead Snow, nothing worse than uh, Nazi zombies. The zombies are already bad, oh, but gosh. when they're Nazis on top of it, that's even that's... double worse. <laughs> And there's other they, ones too. They made a couple of them, so I gotta find yeah. them and watch them all. Yeah, I, I think they made three of them. I've seen all three. Yeah, I, I, it's really good. I, I was really like, it's not bad. It's really scary too. And nothing's better dressed than a Nazi. They dress I know. Well. well, they were sharp dressers for assholes. I have to admit. Yeah, we're we're. I think we're who designed their outfit. Their uniforms are designed like by Paco Rabanne or someone like that. I don't know. That's an interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna have to yeah, look that they, up. That's gonna bug me. Yeah, they were designed by a a, a designer, a, a famous no um kidding? fashion designer. Yeah. Now I gotta look up who designs Nazi uniforms, and I'm probably gonna get put on a freaking list if they're watching my internet. <laughs> Where am I? I get a Nazi uniform. Don't worry. Don't worry. They don't. They don't need to watch your internet. I, I got Alex in the background listening to every word you say. Oh, well, I've got. I got one in the. I've got. I've got two. I've got, I got a Google Nest. I've got one in the bedroom, bathroom, yeah. kitchen. They've got my wire taps are everywhere. So, so next time, so next time you go on to like Amazon or onto your Facebook, they'll be like, "Where to buy Nazi uniforms?" Walter Heck. He's a graphic designer, but by Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss, that's it. It was Hugo Boss. Yeah. Now that we know where we can buy Keith some really good Nazi regalia. Yeah. Because I, too, want to dress like Prince Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Megan. <laughs> yeah, Megan. Don't get me going on that. I did, wasn't even thinking about her this morning. And then you brought her up. It's been great. There's been no news all week. And I, and I thought, God, thank God for that. There's nothing being said about Harry and Meghan this week. Uh, not yet. Oh, we're going to wait until April just before the coronation. Will they or won't they? Well, you know, the one thing that really pissed everybody, when Uvalde, that last uh, sad, tragic shooting happened here in, in West Texas, she flew in for an hour to pose next to all the flowers. This is a true story. And then she left. Nobody hated her any more than Texas at that moment. That she came in to take a freaking PR photo 
of somebody's oh, it's bit, tragedy. It's a bit like that. Um, who is that other person? The uh, that young congresswoman. Oh, from, Ocasio Cortez. She's the yeah. Where well, she was like um, protesting against the wall and talking about uh, immigration in Mexico, and she she went and posed next to the um, fake fake pictures of her posing yeah. next to all the empty whatever they were. But it, but it wasn't even the right wall either. She was like a wall, like it's somewhere else in the summer, not that even was on the an border. Industrial park in Jersey. That wasn't yeah, even near the border. So that's, uh, and those children in cages, they were all propagated. Well, there's no children in cages. You can't make this shit up. I, I wish there I wish there was children. I wish there was children in cages because I would sit there out and buy some. <laughs> like, see my little children's zoo. <laughs> and, then, and the worst part about it is, I'll get the hate email for that comment. You won't. <laughs> no, come on, because they. That's because I'm a gay male, and you can't say anything wrong about what I say because that's it's true. It's true. You've got one of the minorities covered. Everybody's gonna yeah. love you no matter what. A Native American as well, so I got two there. So. Oh, well, so did what's her face, Pocahontas. So, so, so I'm. So I'm <laughs> what's her name, Elizabeth Warren? Warren, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but my grandfather's one hundred percent, so I got one over her. So, so anyone who's anyone who's looking for work, I, you can hire me, and I'll take off two boxes for E O E. Yay! I think we lost Craig somewhere. Yeah, he'll uh, come back. So, back. well, myself, I've been watching *In Search of Darkness* Part Three, the documentary. Oh, I just saw that. I thought it was supposed to be a Part Four, but it is a Part Three. Yeah, it's the end, it's the end of the trilogy, so it's another um, four. Four hours. Five five hours. Awesome. Of, uh, I gotta watch that. Eighties horror. Did you binge and the whole thing? I'm almost done. I got another hour to go. So, awesome. but, uh, so it's good. So I mean, so if you get all three documentaries, that's fifteen hours worth of documentaries. But it's about so worth it. I mean, it mm. I mean, it's it's an excellent documentary. It really is, and you've got so much talent too. Actors, yeah. producers, directors. And I got some ideas to for interviews and stuff. So, oh but yeah. I want to get I want to get Carolyn Monroe. Dude, and uh, we gotta get Linnea quickly. I think Joe said he, he can get us. Joe her, said we so. might be able to get her. I love and her. I, that would be like I, yay. And I'm screaming. I want screaming bad George as well. We gotta get screaming mad George. George. Who did? He did. Um, he did the special effects for like Society and Reanimator. And oh no York. shit! Society. And, That's a, you gotta watch that, you guys. If you haven't watched Society, you need to watch Society. <laughs> yeah, nothing's better than body morphing. Oh man. <laughs> Sexual body morphing. Precisely. Did you see Joe Bob might cover necrophiliac too while we're at it? Ooh, one of our favorites. For Valentine's Day. But at least that's what Joe's <laughs> guess is because they just added it to the Shutter catalog. It's like, so they're going to go there, but we went there first. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, I, you know, dating a dead person and having sex with a dead person is like having, you know, dating a convict. At least you always know where they are. And they're not going to argue with you. <laughs> no, precisely. And they're not going to let you, and you don't have to sleep in the wet spot. So, yeah, because a everything's thing. a wet spot. <laughs> <laughs> so, and let's see what else I've been up to. Not really. I've been just watching up TV and watching some trashy television and. I've been watching that Physical 100 on Netflix, which is quite interesting. Physical 100, never heard of it. I did. Uh, basically, they take the, um, it's Korean. They take right. the 
they got these hundred people who have like the greatest bodies, you know, athletic, greatest athletic bodies. Mm-hmm. And they're probably gymnasts and weightlifters. And then, and then they're all competing against each other. So there's a mm-hmm. hundred and they whittle them down. And basically you find out like the ones who are really muscular are the ones who are being nailed out really quickly. Really? The gymnasts and people like that are the ones who seem to be sustaining so far. So oh, it's interesting. Well, yeah. That sounds so, interesting. Because, I mean, it's all about body strength and leg strength. But it's, it's quite good. I mean, it's quite brutal. It sounds it's like good. that movie <laughs> where everybody keeps getting shot. Squid remember. Game. What is it? Squid Games. Squid Games, oh, yeah. Game. <laughs> that was, I don't think they get another season of that. I really enjoyed it, Squid Games. It'll be out next month, Squid Games 2. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Does anyone watch The Traitors? Yeah, I like the traders. I watched the US one and the UK one. That's actually that's Alan, interesting. Alan Cummings. I gotta watch that. My daughter told me about no, that. No, I never too. I never seen Alan Come. I mean Cummings. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <it's> Sorry. <laughs> had had to drop it all down to that level, didn't I? Well, you know, there's nowhere else to go but back up. The beginning of the month was the evil in everyday life. We'll be covering the color purple, which is a 1982 novel by American author Alice Walker, which won the 1983 Pulitzer Prize for fiction and the National Book Award for fiction. It was later adapted to a film and a musical of the same name. The novel has been freaked frequent target of censors and appears on the American Library Association list of the 100 most frequently challenged books of 2000 to 2010 at number 17 because of the sometimes explicit contact, particularly in terms of violence and lesbianism. In 2003, the look the book was listed on the BBC's The Big Read Poll of the UK's Best Loved Novels. We're going to do to the synopsis of The Color Purple by Alice Walker and be right back. for The Color Purple by Alice Walker. Celie is a poor 14-year-old African-American girl 
living in rural Georgia in the early 1900s. She writes letters to God because her father, Alfonso, beats and rapes her, resulting in two children, Olivia and Adam, that he abducts. A farmer identified as Mr. asks to marry Nettie, and Alfonso gives him Celie instead. Mr. abuses Celie physically, sexually, and verbally, as his two prior children mistreat her as well. Soon afterwards, Nettie runs away and stays with Celie, but Mr. makes advances towards her. Celie tells her to seek help from a well-dressed black woman she saw in town. Nettie promises to write, but never does, and Celie concludes that she is dead. Mr. Sons Harple falls in love with an assertive girl named Sophia, gets her pregnant, and marries her. Soon they have six children. Celie is impressed by Sophia's self-esteem and asks Harple to treat her well, but Mr. chides him for what he considers weakness. In a moment of envy, Celie tells Harple to beat Sophia. Sophia fights back and confronts Celie, who apologizes and confides about Mr.'s abuse. Mr. takes in Shrug Avery, a jazz and blues singer, and Mr.'s longtime mistress during an illness. Celie, who has been fascinated by photos of Shrug that she found in Mr.'s belongings, is thrilled to have her there. Mr.'s father expresses disapproval of the arrangement, reminding Mr. that Shrug has three out-of-wedlock children, though Mr. implies to him that he is those children's father, upon which Mr.'s father leaves in disgust. While Shrug is initially rude to Celie, who has taken a charge of nursing her, the two become friends and Celie soon finds herself infatuated with Shrug. Frustrated by Harple's domineering behavior, Sophia moves out, taking her children with her. Several months later, Harple opens a juke joint where a fully recovered Shrug performs nightly. Shrug decides to stay when she learns that Mr. beats Celia when she is away. Shrug and Celia grow even closer. Sophia returns for a visit and promptly gets into a fight with Harple's new girlfriend, Squeak, knocking Squeak's teeth out. She begins seeing a prizefighter, and when they are in town one day, she has a verbal spat with the mayor's wife, Miss Millie. The mayor and Sophia exchange blows, whereupon the police beat Sophia severely, leaving her disfigured and debilitated. She is subsequently sentenced to 12 years in prison. Squeak tries to blackmail her uncle, the sheriff, into releasing Sophia, but he refuses and rapes Squeak. Squeak cares for Sophia's children while she is incarcerated, and the two women develop a friendship. Sophia is eventually released and begins working for Miss Millie, where she detests. Despite being newly married to a man called Grady, Shug instigates a sexual relationship with Celia on her next visit. One night, Shug asks Celia about her sister, and Shug helps Celia recover letters from Nettie that Mr. has been hiding from her for decades. The letters indicate that Nettie befriended a missionary couple, Samuel and Corinne, the well-dressed woman Celia saw in the store. Nettie eventually accompanied them to Africa to do missionary work, Samuel and Corinne having unwittingly adopted both Adam and Olivia. Corinne, noticing her adopted children resembled Nettie, wonders if Samuel fathered children with Nettie. Increasingly suspicious, Corinne tries to limit Nettie's role within the family. Through her letters, Nettie reveals she has become disillusioned with her missionary work. Corinne becomes ill with fever, and Nettie asks Samuel to tell her how he adopted Olivia and Adam. Realizing that Adam and Olivia are Celie's children, Nettie then learns Alfonso is actually her and Celie's stepfather. Their actual father was a store owner that white men lynched because they resented his success. She also learned their mother suffered a mental collapse after her husband's death, and that Alfonso exploited the situation to control their mother's considerable wealth. Nettie confesses to Samuel and Corinne she is the children's biological aunt. 
The gravely ill Corinne refuses to believe her until Nettie reminds her of her previous encounter with Celie in the store. Later, Corinne dies, finally having accepted Nettie's story. Meanwhile, Celie asks Alfonso who confirms Nettie's story. Celie begins to lose some of her faith in God, which she confides to Shrug, who explains to Celie in her own unique religious philosophy. Shrug helps Celie realize that God is not someone who has power over her like the rest of the men in Celie's life. Rather, God is an it and not a who. Having had enough of her husband's abuse, Celie decides to leave Mr. along with Shrug and Squeak, who is considering a singing career of her own. Celie puts a curse on Mr. before leaving him for good, settling in Tennessee and supporting herself as a seamstress. Alfonso dies, Celie inherits his land and moves back into her childhood home. Around this time, Shrug falls in love with Jermaine, a member of her band, and this news crushes Celie. Shrug travels with Jermaine all the while writing postcards to Celie. Celie pledges to love Shrug even if Shrug does not love her back. Celie learns that Mr., suffering from a considerable decline in fortunes after Celie left him, has changed dramatically, and Celie begins to call him by his first name, Elbert. Elbert proposes that they marry, in the spirit as well as in the flesh, but Celie declines. Meanwhile, Nettie and Samuel marry and prepare to return to America. Before they leave, Adam marries Tashi, an African girl. Following an African tradition, Tashi undergoes the painful rituals of female circumcision and facial scarring. In solidarity, Adam undergoes the same facial scar scarring ritual. As Celie realizes that she is content in her life without Shrug, Shrug returns, having ended her relationship with Jermaine. Nettie, Samuel, Olivia, Adam, and Tashi all arrive at Celie's house. Nettie and Celie reunite after 30 years and introduce one another to their respective families. And that is the synopsis of The Color Purple by Alice Walker. Now back to the show. Podcast, we're discussing the color purple by Alice Walker. So, starting with you, Craig, what are your thoughts on the color purple? Um, I loved the book, the book was really enjoyable. Um, the way it was written was like it was like someone's personal diaries, like it was almost could have been written in patois. It reminded me of a book I read, um, uh, called Comfort's Diary, based in uh. The uh, in, from like it's it's based in Ghana and that and it was it was really 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 lovely to read and I just it really it really pulled at my heartstrings with what the women went through during the Deep South times. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, something that I've never really been not 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 knew much about really. Um. Because you hear about women being mistreated in history and things, but you you don't really think about the Deep South for how how women's faced all those tribulations wasn't just black women either it was yeah, all women that's it and um they were the good old days yep <laughs> I, i'm just really thankful <laughs> that i'm born now in in this generation you know really and respect to them as well and mm. uh, my favorite character was um uh i think it was sophia she was my, one of my favorite characters she was a badass. She was always putting up the fight, wasn't she? Yeah. And uh, very, it creeped me out, the whole kind of 
paedophilia and uh, the incests. It was cringe. It was that real was, cringe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt like I was really into her, into her world, um, in her life, and you know, um, just really enjoyable book. And I also it it reminded me of the way a bit, a bit like Beloved, but Beloved something else. But yeah, um, I get what you're saying. I know where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah, the whole tone and style was just was was really perfect um it has similarities no doubt mm. and what about yourself leandro what are your thoughts on the color purple um <clears throat> well i i love the, the book because uh, it's the first time i read a book like that is uh, written like in the format of letters mm -hmm. and it's cool because Sometimes, you know, when you read a normal book, it's like the, the, the chapter maybe is like really long and this one is like short. Um, yeah, it it's, it's was really moving um, for me. The, the parts, you know, when, when she's, well, the, the book start describing uh, how she got, um, what's her name? Silly. Silly. Yes. And it's, it was really moving then when, Later, she is explaining to, um, oh, I'm really bad with the name, Shash, I don't know how to pronounce Shrug. Shrug. Yeah. That she's yeah. in time yeah. that, that, that is, is, well, is moving. For me, it's, it's, for me, it was a bit horrible to read. Like, every time that she has to uh, shave his dad beer, it was going back to that place of the first time. And then, then you think, well, at the beginning you think that, that when she got married with this man is going to be different and goes back to the same thing. Um, really interesting, like the first, first the, the, the letters are like, dear God, right? And then in one of the letters, her sister was asking her to uh, not to kind of bottle up the thing, just to write it down. And without knowing she did it, Right, and then you get like the responses. Let's say like the back of the what the sister uh, wrote for her. Really, yeah, moving story uh, in all the aspects. Like what Craig said, um, there was a part of when, when her sister is explaining things that I have that I think every one of us has thought, but not not like that in a, that innocent way. They said that she couldn't believe how people in the same race for money were able to like, you know, like sell, sell, sell the, the slave were sold because some people didn't like kind of love more money than their own race. And some descriptions are really like, for me, I don't know, like explained in a really innocent way, because I think that even though that she, well, was growing up, she was really like keeping that that innocence that well, everyone should have. Like so when you're a kid, you know, like they believing, the expecting the the best. So yeah, really, really interesting book. Made me cry. So That's for sad. me, if it is movies or books, it make me cry because it's it's good. Because I think it's like this is how I, I don't know, great movies and things. If it's make you cry for me, it's like move something. On you, or the way is written, like got your attention enough to get involved in the story. So, mm. 
And what about yourself, David? Um, I literally in love with the book. Uh, I did watch the movie when I was much younger. I didn't even realize there was a piece of American literature. It was quite interesting. I didn't have the awareness when I was younger. And then eventually I realized by reading the book, there was even much more behind it. Um, it was an incredible book. Obviously, it was emotionally challenging, I would say. Um, the Obviously, the movie gave you the direct impact because you see the scenes. I've cried about three times in the movie. Uh, I basically dealt with... Uh, themes that are even dear to me um, for my personal history and stuff, but that's just, let's not get into that. Uh, but it was generally um, interest, interesting and beautiful to see a character. My favorite character, for example, is Celie. Um, I feel a certain relation to her. She's a character that uh, who starts as a pure sort of innocent, naive character who didn't even understand the fact that she was living in an injustice done to her, many injustices actually, like you know, the abuse and the rape and the racism and sexism, there's so much going on that she she's just does, she doesn't even know basically uh, what she's basically been uh, facing every single day and stuff. And um, and yet she slowly grow, grows up, she kind of have love like figures of inspiration and mentors and stuff like Sharg, obviously, Sophia as well, I would say. Um, she basically grows into a character who's like fully developed and self-aware and she knows that she has to stick up for herself and she has to fight because obviously if you don't fight, you don't get your freedom, if that makes sense. Um, so it really touched me inside. Um, every time I watched the movie, I watched the movie twice already. So, I mean, twice in this month, I've cried every time, and I made my brother watch it with my brother. So I was literally there, just keep keep it up, and I keep it. Don't cry, don't cry in front of your brother. Sort of thing. Uh, I really, really loved it. Really loved it. And what about yourself, Vix? I liked, I liked it. I mean, I had to. Sometimes when we get into books that with the letters and back and forth, it takes me a little bit to adjust. And it's like I'm spitting mad usually in the beginnings. Like, damn it! <laughs> but after a while, and you start getting into it, then you you kind of pick up the beat, you're the tempo with the author, but there's really no delicate way or anything to uh, to even talk about any of these. So she's very raw, very, when she when she's writing this book, she just puts it all out there because there's no nice way to talk about abuse or racism or sexism or any of that. <clears throat> but uh, it, I, I, the story was, I, I was really, not explain well i knew what was in the story because obviously the books the movie's been out for a long time and this is the first time i ever read the book but uh we'll talk about the movie more but uh i was i, I was really interested in I, I noticed that women always we all say you know we don't need other people but women for the most part need other women sometimes because it I, and i found that it was kind of it was kind of a collective where these women well they usually were involved with the one man, you know, that was the, the men were seeming to, to, I don't know, they were all assholes. All of these men were assholes in this book. There's no nice way to put it. Uh, these women, well. I mean, they, they did kind of go back and forth with Nettie's letters and Celie's letters, and they were both explaining the Pan-African experience, and it was kind of delegating back towards what these women were. You had the polygamists, or the, the uh, yeah, polygamy going on in Africa, you got genital mutilation, you got tattooing, you got the scarring. And over here you have, you know, some other forms of disfigurement, whether they be mental or physical. But
that uh, they kind of drew the lines, uh, like these sisters weren't together, but they were kind of still living in a parallel universe together. And um, one thing I did appreciate about it, um, I, I don't, I don't know if it breeds racism towards other people. Uh, you know, the one thing it didn't make me really mad about, you know, any any of the racist stuff. It made me mad about the feminist stuff <laughs> because, you know. These women, whether white or black or whatever, I mean, they were going through hell in this book. These men, I mean, and where did the men get, I mean, when did, I hate to, not trying to be bad here, but I never did never really thought of black men back in those days acquiring any form of wealth, but yet they did. And that they had money and that mm -hmm. they used it against their, their other women, their women, you know, plural, because let's see, you got Shug and you got, he wanted Shug, he wanted Nettie, and he also had Seely. And, you know, and on top of that, her first really great sexual experience never even happened until Shug, because she thought it was all just a violent, horrendous act. She had no idea it could be a pleasurable, enjoyable experience, but yet a woman showed her that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't blame them for being gay in this book at all, because the men were just awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, right down to the, you know, Harpo, the first time Seely uh, uh, meets Harpo, he hits her in the head with a rock. I would have beat the livid shit out of that kid day one. <laughs> but, you know. I mean, I guess the good thing to remember is, is that the, the book takes place uh, 30 1900s years. 1900s and the 20s, yeah. It, well, 30 years after the Civil War anyway. Right. And it, and it takes place in Georgia where the, slave, the, the slaves are now becoming landowners and stuff like right. that. And so basically you got a couple generate, you got a, you know, you still need a couple more generations to go before you you have a society that civil rights who, who've been slaves. Well, well, basically, who've been, who've been slaves, and then basically trying to find their own path. And the money would basically come from land ownership. So they were, you know, each slave, um, some slaves, um, when they got their freedom, were giving bits of pieces of land. Well, that's true. I forgot about that. But Seely, like the father, actually, she got. It wasn't the the the, the pedophile father wasn't it the actual father that left her the property because she yeah the, the actual it? father the actual father basically had a successful store that's um, right and, okay that's and right. then and then basically what happened was is that um he got lynched because he was becoming too successful so therefore the store and all the land and the house reverted back to the mother Right. But because she was devastated and not getting over the anguish of losing her husband, she married Alfonso. Hurt. Well, Alfonso kind of stepped in and took advantage of her weak mental state. Now, yeah, I thought took advantage of everything. A lot of the men did. And but the I, but the interesting thing is what we get here that um, when we talk about the movie, we can discuss a bit further. But um, when we get to Mister, and when. Um, Mr. becomes Albert to Seely. Right. What you find out is that Albert does grow in the book. He becomes yes. a better person. They they grow a like a really tender after she curses friendship. him. After she curses him, and then basically <laughs> and his life goes out. to shit. <laughs> well, it's not so much of the curse. I think it has to do that. You know, when she does curse him, he's alone. All the kids yeah. have left. So now he's got now he's facing around and you know when someone's gone from your life and you don't realize everything that they Good do for you that's what day. that's when you miss them the most. It's um you know you don't miss them when they're around yeah. and you see them every day. When you see them every day you just want to hit them in the face. But once the they're gone you do miss them. It's so, it was such a cruelty to to keep those letters from the two sisters. 
I mean, just this kitty, that was the only person she loved, and he even took that away from her. It's just like, and he was mad at her for not being her sister or being Shug. So she was kind of being punished like that in the book because he's not what he wanted, but he took her on anyway. Well, even, you know? but, even, but even Nettie is not what he wants. Nettie is still second place to Shug. To Shug, yeah. Shug is who he wants. Shug yeah, it was loves. really interesting when he said, well, he's beating me because I'm, because I'm, I'm not you, you know? Yeah. And yeah. what he wanted, it was the other lady, but in the place of doing the things, that Celie was doing, which she well, would can never you imagine do. back in that day. I mean, black or white, it doesn't matter. In that day, can you imagine I, my world would have shattered too if I was him, if my wife left me for my mistress? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of kind of divine providence, you know, in a way. Well, this is where the book is quite interesting because we have this Shug character, and Shug is basically like a man. Basically, basically. she has her own money. She has her um, her own independence. She's not depending on any man. If no. anything, she's using the men around her. Uh, and Did she have an STD? I cannot figure that. Why? Yes, I think they say they say they mentioned it in the, but they didn't they, they didn't say what they said that they have the the ladies. Uh, ladies disease. That could be yeah. anything. No, I mean, but, then, but another thing you have to remember is that you're hearing everything through Celia's eyes anyway, and Celia true. is she's not the most worldly anyway. She does become more and more worldly as the book goes on. Right. But when but the beginning stages of her taking care of uh, Shug, she still has the world still hasn't touched her. She's still in this living hell with Mister and raising his kids right. and everything goes around that. Her world doesn't really open up until Shug enters it, and now right. then what? And then if you notice, the language in the book starts shifting a little yeah. bit. She becomes a bit more knowledgeable. Her writing, her understanding of the All the characters start evolving. All the yeah. female characters, Squeak, all of them start evolving. Squeak and Sophia have a similar relationship. They first hated each other, and it was all over Harpo. And, and mm -hmm. then, you know, these women all tolerate each other, and it's just, I found that so astonishing. But, I mean, the, the back then, with all was such horrible the way the world is and was, that they found comfort in each other's friendship because they were all in it together, basically. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at Sophia, Sophia up until, you know, when, when you know, she, she um, attacked, well, she, she retaliates um, by hitting the mayor. I mean, she's a very independent woman as well. And she yeah, knows her. Yeah, but come and do. That was awful. And, that really oh, but what, you know, the thing, the problem basically there is that she ended up in her own hell anyway. So, Even the kids so you know, kids. yeah, um, you know, so she ended up in her own hell, but, you know, at the same time, even when she, you know, and then you look at Squeak and Squeak tries to help Sophia and then basically her uncle rapes her. Right. And then basically, and then we get Sophia going back into the mayor's wife's house, it ended up being coming her, her servant anyway, yeah. and but but she ends up raising her daughter, you know, and then then next thing you know is this daughter. So Sophia's got this daughter hanging around her for most of her life, and then and I thought that was quite interesting that you get like the the mayor's wife's daughter brings the child over, and Sophia's like, I don't need to deal with this anymore. She finally moves forward. But this, well, Sweet got raped as well. I mean, it's, yeah, was, she got raped. So she got raped. Violence against women in this novel. Well, Squeak got raped to get Sophia out of jail. That's right. what that was all about. But the thing is, is that 
the whole book's about reconciliation anyway. It's not about forgiveness. Well, and that's what solidarity as well, because these women yeah. all stand together. Well, see, but the thing is, is that what we have as a society anyway, we have in a society that basically you should forgive people, but it's not about forgiving because you don't act when you forgive, you actually don't get over anything. Right. But it's about reconciling. And once all once all the characters reconciled, they all move forward and they're all moving forward. But the women are all the one, the women are all groaning because yeah. they have they have to grow because if they don't grow, they have to outgrow the men. If they're going to find peace, and through their through their trials and tribulations, and through the whole situation, they grow to be stronger, independent women. By the end of the book, you know, Celia has her own business. Celia has a successful business. Yeah. You know, Shug um, Shug is so independent. Sophia is now equal with Harpo. She's not. She's not with Harpo because they're married. She's with Harpo because she wants to be with Harpo. Did he end up having that the uh? The uh, speakeasy place at the end was that still open? I can't remember. Well, they they kind of hint at it that it's still going. That Sophia is working there because that's, that's right. when that's okay. That's it's when that's when the mayor's place, wife. Well, the mayor's wife, the mayor's daughter and child are at the speakeasy, which is her old house. Right. So I don't know if they're living upstairs or they have a separate. I, you know, I don't know if they have, you know, they're living upstairs from the Duke joint or they have a separate house somewhere away from the Duke joint. It's really hard because said before we're seeing we, we also seeing everything through Celie's eyes anyway. But the most interesting thing of the book, I think, which it actually speaks and stands out on its own, it's with its deal, idealization of religion and God. Right. And here what we got is that God, you know, you know, here they had like the Italian version of God, the Da Vinci version of God. And it's it's Chug it's Chug and Nettie that's saying that God is not a he or a who, it's an it. Right. And and because it's an it, it's like he is anything you want to be. He's in everything around us. But and I thought that was quite an interesting say and you know, the thing to say really, because I think that when we think of God and stuff like this, once we genderize God or make him this over human presence over us, now what happens is we feel we, we all become slightly oppressed anyway. But once once she figures out, you know, once she understands and stops praying to the God who's the oppressed one and looks at God who's the open one, then you see that Celia's um, idealistic views of her world start changing. And she no longer says, dear God, anymore. And she... And that's when you realize that Celie grows. Once she once she's not stuck in the religious aspect of everything, that's when that's when she starts to blossom, like a purple flower in a field, right? So on and so forth. Oh, this is the first time I hear you saying something poetic. Well, purple <laughs> is a royal color too, though. Not only is it beautiful in our fields down here in the south, but purple is a color of royalty. If that meant anything, I don't know. Sure. Well, it's, all, it's also majestic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, purple is majestic. It's royal. It's it's rare. If you look at um purple was um in Greek and in Roman times is purple was the first color that they would dye things into at that time, sort of thing. Um, because it's you know, it's it's a rare it's a rare color in nature, really. It's very rare that you see the color of purple in nature. Yeah, we get wildflowers, the purple sing, ones are the prettiest. Sing, they really are. Rain. I love purple flowers. Mm. I'll sing purple rain. Purple rain. <laughs> I was going to say that purple rain <laughs> was really interesting for me because it was the first time that I came across about um, kind of 
well, I don't know how to call it. Let's go. I would call it like the slavery instead of the slavery. Look, like I've never, well, read until the, I read this book of a story where they were kind of like buying the the wife, <clears throat> and the man said, "Okay, come here." Like to take took a cow for. Like, he yeah, to like, turn around. Let's see how you are. Okay, do you want this one? Yeah, wait, well, and then they said, "Well, no, I, I won't give you the other one." And which I think is like, well, it's about perpetrating and bringing forth your your line to yeah. increase increase your line and what you want. You want a healthy childbearing woman yeah, yeah, but I never, to carry never, your I life never, forward. I never heard or came across that something would have happened in, in a society. Uh, that, well, it happens. That, it happens. To, it happens today. Believe it or not, in arranged oh, marriages, oh, oh, that's, yeah. and, you know, and if you look at arranged marriages, that, that happens very much a lot yeah. today. Yeah, when yeah, people yeah. who do believe in the arranged marriage thing, it's like, is she a childbearing heiress? How many childbearing years does she have? How many children will we be able to have with her? What kind of wealth can she bring with her into you know, her our father, family? her stepfather, whatever you want to call him, had the audacity to tell Mister that she was tainted. You know, wonder why, you know, she's tainted and mm -hmm. had two kids. Boy, that guy so much should have took him out in the first part of the book. Well, <laughs> see, but, but, you know, the thing, that what I quite liked about the book is that even though the men are acting horribly around them and it's unacceptable, but you kind of understand why they feel, why they are acting that way. Because you know these are people who basically they're they're the children of slaves and they right. got freedom, and so and if you think of the simple fact that the way that they were 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 brought into slavery is they were bought and sold by their traits and but they perpetuated what, and, with their own women. Yeah, yeah. and and you, know, and you also have to remember that, that females, you know, no matter what race you were at this time, you got to remember females weren't able to vote until the sixties. 20. Women were not the twenties, sorry, and women women weren't allowed to have their own credit cards or own banks up until the sixties. Well, even then, so, that's kind of hairy because I remember mm -hmm. my mother's credit cards back in the seventies. Remember, it was just the plain old Mastercard with the two circles. It would always yeah. say John Richard Ray on it. It wouldn't say Lillian. So seriously, and you know another thing that yeah. I just found out: my mother's yeah. got a lot of my father's stuff after all these years. As still mostly in my father's name. And my mother wanted to get a different phone and everything. We realized that my father had to okay all this. No one even gets so primitive. And it's just like, wow, mm. you gotta do something about this and get your name on all these accounts. It's because this this is when they were set up, was in mm. the 60s. So it didn't matter who you, what color you were. Women, just mm. uh, seriously, we, we all need to mm. stick together. We they do. <laughs> Was really like interesting when when uh, needed well not the other not the name what's the name sorry Shug no, Sophia Celia the other one maybe <laughs> 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 when she then she started to explain that something about the Bible and said that everything started in Africa and he said. She explained clearly, it's like, is that the drawings that they put in the Bible that confuse thinking that, for example, God, or well, let's say Jesus, right, is that tall, blonde guy with long hair where, where they could never happen if that story happened in, in Africa and they were like, they were not, not it's, a, it's a kind of like the European, how the European person or someone, you know, mm -hmm. like, 
from Denmark would look rather than than where all this well, stuff was happening. It was really interesting. Well, our depiction our depiction of Jesus anyway is through Leonardo da Vinci, whether it's the Last Supper or all the yeah. or all the the during the Renaissance period when all the Italian. Yeah. Authors, but the reason the reason why they look like that because. You know, these were the models that were posing <laughs> these pictures that these artists were painting at that time. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I mean, but, you know, the thing is, and this is, again is where you have religion as being told by people telling you what the Bible is and what the Bible means without the people who are actually following this religion, reading the, the source material themselves, because they read the source material, you would realize that Jesus was a woolly hair. You yes, know, yeah, that was what she was saying. Yes, you know, and then, um, and though parts of, uh, you know, you know, as far as the Bible is concerned, when you look at Jerusalem and stuff like this. Yes, they do, they do hinge on the African borders and stuff like this. And as you know, that there was some white blonde kid running around through Israel and Jerusalem yeah. at that time. He would have been pretty easy to spot. King Herod, as I think we said in a previous podcast, King Herod would be like, "Look for the look for the white kid. That's Jesus, you know." And it's you know he wouldn't be able to blend in very easily. So, and he'd be sunburned anyway. I mean, he'd be out in the desert like this. He'd just be like lobster boy, out there. <laughs> yeah. um, Find yeah. the thirty-two-year-olds who's got skin cancer because he's out in the sun and he's blonde. <laughs> so, you know, so it does make a lot of sense. But you know, as as Christianity spread across um you know but you gotta also remember in africa at this period in time um up until up until you know like the 20s there it was a muslim country all of africa was it wasn't a christian country and that and that happened with the um and this is where it's quite interesting with neti you know here we got neti going to africa and things are not much better there either women cannot be educated women are basically a at low yeah. ownership and stuff like this so whilst we're looking at we're actually looking at a custom that even though and i thought that alice walker did this very very well that even though you said oh things could have been better in africa well they're not they're just as hideous there as they were anywhere else so and i thought that was quite brave of her to do that because as an african-american author it would be very easy to sit there and have neti having a fantastic life in africa where, where we're all looked at the same but you know, in Africa, you have things like the caste system that you have to worry about and all the other stuff as well. And then you have the tribal people and then you have big business and corporations and society moving through this and wiping out tri tribal. And it's basically what happens with modern man takes over anywhere. You know, way goes the small town mentalities and comes the world. And once the world happens, it starts wiping away everything. And then, then once you start wiping away that, now we need to centralize religion into it then move forward and whether whatever that religion may be whether you know you have tribal religions but by the 20s and 30s by the time neti does leave africa what happens in africa is those tribal religions are becoming dead and they're replaced with christianity and yeah uh, but you Muslim. know that, that that in and of itself is offensive you know it's like we grew up with the missionaries in the sacred heart i've never agreed with missionaries and going in, it's like you're getting all this wrong we're going to show you what god is really about so we're going to tell you to get rid of thousands of years of indigenous culture because you're wrong. So we're going to give you Jeffrey Hunter Jesus and not your your. It's it, you know that that right there is iffy to me. Well, mission missionary services. It, I mean, it, it, 
I agree that it's wrong. The only thing that they were good at, they would bring with the, um, education. Well, education and you know, and like reading, writing, arithmetic, and stuff like that. Yeah. So it was good for that, but I really don't think you need to. I mean, it's a bit like saying my God's better than your God, and how yeah, the hell pretty, do you know? That's because that's pretty much what it was. Yeah, because no one comes back from that, do they? I mean, no. who co- who's that? Who's come back from the dead and telling you what God's better? Yeah. You know. Nobody. And it's, and it's putting a lot of faith in. I mean, I'm a you know I'm a Christian anyway, and you know right. I I do you know go to church regularly and stuff, but you know. I don't think my religion is better than anyone else's. My grandmother said that religion is like a pair of shoes and they fit wear it, you know? Yeah. And so what might be right for me might doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be right for you. And no, no should I sit there and dictate that my God's better than your God or my way of praying is better than your way of praying because it's individual. And, you know, especially when you look at something that's not even hypothesis or theory, you're basically looking at something that there's no fact in whatsoever anyway. So when you die, it's not going to matter because whatever's going to happen to you is going to happen to you. Yeah. You know, I kind of like the idea that my the God that I pray to is not going to be micromanaging, going you in, you out, you in, you out, you yeah. in, you out. I think, you know, and, I, and if something happens, I go to hell. Well, there's gonna be some fucking fantastic music down there, so I'll be happy. That's right. Well, you know, basically, <laughs> like in the book, though, you got you've got religious control, you got social control. Religion's just another way to control. Yeah, it is. And it just it's uh, it it show. I mean, I it always annoys that you got all these people in this book or wherever have you going to church like good Christians, but yet they don't walk the walk. You know, they treat each other yeah. like shit, no matter what, and they're the first ones into church. But I have, I have noticed, I'm a, I'm Christian, and I have noticed that exactly that thing happens. Like a lot of people that <clears throat> kind of like because they go to church, they certain think that kind of they're I'm better than you because I'm let's say like closer. And yeah. then in the real life, they're well, pretty bad people, you know. Right. Um. Exactly. Said, yeah, like. I think religion is, I think religion, and I'm not talking about belief, I'm talking about right. belief and religion are two different things. I think religion is a way that, you know, that you know, even if you take all the Christian religions and put them together, basically they all hate each other. And it's all about lifting you up, saying that, you know, my, my religion is better than your religion and bringing everyone else down. And the main reason behind it is because of commerce, basically, is because the more people who believe this way are going to send more money to the church, which means this church is going to be more wealthy and so on and so forth. Right. And then, of course, the more people who give money to the church end up sitting in the front of the pew, so that way they they can look down at everyone sitting behind them. So, you know, it isn't, you know, a hierarchy way of system. You know, church is a hierarchy way of anything. You know, if you get involved in church too much, then basically you're looking down at everyone who's not going to church as often as you are. or But at the same time, it can be a full great way to form a community because these communities do kind of work together, you know, and, and, it, and it does show goodness with it as well. So, but I guess that's life anyway. There's always good and bad in every aspect of your life anyway, no matter how you look at it. Well, I remember when I was in school, it was a Catholic, Catholic school and then once one a, a professor said, "Do you know what the meaning of religion means?" It was really funny. You know, we were like six, fifteen at that time, probably. <laughs> Nobody knew what, what the word actually mean meant. And she said, "Well, come from the Latin, uh, connect again." 
that's why there is a painting, you know, with the two fingers like that. Yeah. Because that's what the aim, connect again with God, because in one moment we fuck it all up and then we, we're not connected anymore. And then I thought, well, that's really not because it, if that's the, 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 like, that will be the idea that you connect any way you can with God doing something like that doesn't hurt anyone, right? That will be different. And then I was in the house of a friend once. We were chatting, right? And she said, you know, I'm reading really, really, this really interesting book. It was really, really small book, but it was saying that in all the religions, no matter which one you choose, it was following the same pattern. There, mm. yeah. there was a God that came, that, that, that created humans, let's say, and then decided to one day to come, like make, make it one of us to try to pass the message. People fuck it all up. And then he promised that he w- he was going to come back again. In Buddhism, in in I don't know any religion that you it was the same pattern. Symbolism. Yeah. And the, well, the other thing really. Well, even even, Mo- even Moses is repeated in the Egyptian one. You know. Yeah. Well, and, and then, then the, the Greeks other one, and the Roman religion. You know, the Roman gods. They have, they all have their Moses character. Yeah. Who, 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 some orphan floating down Death the river. Us, yeah. <laughs> um, picked the up by some royalty. <laughs> The other interesting thing that I heard was like, apparently all the parables in the Bible were the bedtime stories that the the pharaohs used to tell the, the their sons when they were young, and the slaves used to in time there were something that they were able to understand Egyptian, so what they did they started to write it down, to not to forget and pass it over and over and over and then in the end ended in the Bible. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, all religions, you know, all, I mean, the only thing I could say good about religion, it probably stopped us from killing each other. Because the chances, chances yeah. are if we didn't have I don't know about that. We've got holy wars going on for thousands of years. No, but what I'm saying in general, I think that we probably just be, I mean, to be honest, my neighbors, you know, if we didn't, we didn't have that fear, I think. As far as individuals are concerning, I'm not talking about nations or right, okay, um, religious. But as individuals, I'm sure that if my neighbor was playing too hard, too much, they were bothering me. I probably, could, you know, if I didn't think that there was some kind of mortal danger yeah. to my soul, I probably would go and knife them very easily. True. <laughs> well, one thing that really called my attention is like when we were in lockdown. If not, it was 2020, it was 2021. I heard, I saw a news about like. I don't know where in in kind of like they were recognized that animals has feelings. And I thought we are fucked up as a society. If you if you have to wait until the year 2021 to understand that the animal can have feelings. And, and then I was thinking more. Then I was watching the movie and I said that you're treating me or oh, a program worse than a dog. So it's like, well, because if you're not a human. And for example, I treat bad a dog, and nobody nobody yeah. knows. It's kind of allowed, and I I hate that. But I love dogs more than humans. But that's oh, I'm story. with you on that, Leandro. And, totally story. behind you on that, buddy. <laughs> but what I can I mean, understand is like if, yeah. if, you can, if you can allow to hurt hurt an animal for fun, let's say, not for food, and that that is a kind of like accepted. It's it's so, for me. It's all like it's all wrong. You know? Well, I mean, I think that's man anyway. I mean, the trouble with man, man has an ego, and they think that they're the ruler of everything, you know, living and dead anyway. And that, that includes plants and everything. We think that we're 
-hmm. We think we're the chosen one on Earth sort of thing. I remember the nuns used to tell me that animals did not have feelings or souls. Right then I knew that that was not for me, that particular religion. Yeah. Because what makes us think in our cognizant brain that any other living creature on this planet, how vain and arrogant are we to say that nothing else, even gentler creatures, do not deserve eternal life or happiness or whatever. You know, I mean, I, right then and there I knew it was wrong. It's just like, well, how could you? But religion, but religion never even talks about the circle of life anyway. No. That, you know, that you know, the reason why we die is so that way we can fertilize the earth, so they were farther fertilize the earth, right. we get grass, the grass feeds the cows, you know, and so on and so forth. It's a great big circle, you know, which we I mean we, we as humans have probably pretty much screwed that up. Um, through our advanced wisdom. But you know, but through all that situation, it is a simple fact that, you know, I always, I always thought, as far as belief is, I always thought belief is wrong, but it's better to have an idea because you know, if, if everyone had an idea instead of belief, it's easier to change your idea than it is to change your belief. Yeah. Yeah. So I always, well, I always thought that probably was a better way forward. So. When, when I told a friend that I have that I was going to read this book, and she said, "Ah, yes," I said, "Dear God," and then she said something like, "That's what you say, Keith." It's like at the beginning she was writing letters. But in a way, then I don't know if she realized, but like, she wasn't uh, writing the letters for God. She was writing it to herself to get away all those feelings and emotions. But that was her sister said, like later, like when she said, oh, "Please write all the things so you can like kind of let it go." Uh, and there was one moment that was I was really sad when she said she was writing the letters and breaking them. And throw them in the water so they can the waves of the kind of energy can can reach her. That was really like they uh, had an unusual relationship for sisters, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, well, it was just just pure uh, sibling love. I mean, I, the thing I didn't understand though is Nettie marrying Samuel. I thought that was quite. I th yeah, wasn't that the adoptive father? Correct. I got. Yeah. I'm gonna ask you guys that. I thought I read that wrong, and I'm going. Yeah, no, no, she marries him. So, in fact, she becomes the stepmother to her. Corinne niece and was nephew. the mother, correct? The adopted mother to Adam and Olivia, which yeah. are Celia's two kids. But Corinne was the wife of Samuel. Right. And then, and then, but at the same time, it's like even in her letters, it's kind of hinted that she's quite close to Samuel, but not very close to Corinne. Yeah. So, and then, then it, you know, of course, time passed because um, Nettie's writing letters once a year, isn't she? At this point, so therefore. You know, so well, like Christmas and Easter, I think, because yeah, so, she so knows lot, he's keeping them. So yeah, so a lot of a lot of time can happen between this time period anyway. But you know, it just kind of like Corinne dies and she marries Samuel like quite quickly, and you're just like, okay, what's where? Yeah, and kinda, it just kind of had this feeling that were they having an affair or was something going on? Well, that's what Corinne... I'm saying. The story was kind of vague here and there. I don't know about you guys. I know that it was totally out there for Keith. But sometimes I didn't know if Celie was dreaming that her sister was alive because they were supposed to be dead because of something going on over in Africa. So they were supposed to not even be uh, alive. So I often wonder, was she dreaming? Was they actually, I know that in the end, but is the end a dream? It was well, brought up in different reviews. Is it a dream or is it actual? No, what, what basically happened basically is, is that when they were supposed to be going to America, then, um, the war world war one started and they, right. they the ship was to bleed to be shot down by germany right 
and that they might have been on it, but because records are not what they say they were. Right. You know, I mean, this is where it differs from the book all, all the way anyway. Right. But, um, which we'll get to soon. But um, so, and then they do appear. So I think that they do appear because, um, and that, you know, they do show up in the flesh because she's not expecting them. Right. And they do show up and she's with her new family. Um, Celia's new family is now Elber and Shug and you know and, and they're, they're not related so the they're related and then and then they show up and they see them coming and then Chuck goes to Celia goes there's your sister they're here there's your sister and then that's when Celia goes runs out to meet them um because at the moment Celia doesn't know who they are really and so goes you know you know it's Chuck that tells Celia that in the book but you know this is who they are yeah, I was wondering if she was dreaming though, because most of her letters have a dreamlike quality to them, the way she's writing her letters to God or whomever she's, you know, corresponding with in her head. But I mean, and they, they, they don't really, well, they do talk about it in the movie, but I mean, really without Nettie, uh, Celie probably wouldn't be even uh, that much read to where she was writing like she was. So she was responsible for that. It just, it just seemed like she just, I don't know. She just seemed like she took off on her. I don't know. Well, I think what happened basically is in, in the story, first of all, when Celia starts writing from the beginning of the book, up until she meets Chuck, everything is just matter of fact. Anyway, there's no emotion. It's a matter of fact. It's basically, this is what's happening. She meets Chuck, who basically goes down to her and opens up her bearded clam and turns her into a woman <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, and basically what we have now is now we got, now we got Celia with the emotions. So now we're getting this emotion flowing through. And then when we get the understanding of what God is, that God's not a who, but an it. it. And then, and and then what we do, and then what we have is this. Now we have this idealization of the emotions coming through as well at the same time. And this is Celia growing as a person as she's moving forward through life. And I think where we get where we get kind of the the not the fantasy element of it, but the kind of um, where the where the life story kind of takes on this metaphysicalness is when she thinks Nettie has died, but she's continuing right. to write to her. So what we have basically is this idea, um, because, the, and this is where we get stuff that the time, the time shift is different now. Right. So what we got is we got, um, she got, we got her writing to Nettie sort of thing. So obviously, and then what we have is Nettie writing to her, but because the letters are not coming together and they're right. not getting there, so I would sit there and say from that point where, where she starts finding the letters and she's writing to Nettie and to the point where Nettie and her family appear, that's when they start taking Celia's letters and Nettie's letters and putting them together. And then, oh, now we're going to, and if they were real people, we're going to now, um, now we're going to publish this book of our, of our letters. Because Nettie's not getting Celia's letters at all. And, and, and the, light, the later story where, um, where Nettie's continuing on and and up to the point where and this is where you can find the break in the story anyway the first letter that Celia reads is basically Nettie's story story sort of thing but and then what happens is then we're getting a lot of so we're getting Nettie's story Nettie's story Nettie's story Nettie's story and then when we go back to Celia writing Nettie from that point forward when we get Nettie's letters and Celia's letters and Nettie they're not getting through to each other. Uh -huh. Celia's not, I mean, Celia's not sending her letters to Nettie because she's not getting them. And Nettie's not writing to Celia at this moment because of the, you know, the changes that are going on in, um, in Africa, the, 
the tribal people being wiped away and all that stuff's going on. And so these letters are not getting back and through. So when she hears about Celia drowning, she's still writing as if that Nettie may be alive out there, but there's right. no certainty. And then meanwhile, Nettie's writing about what's happening to her, but obviously the letters are not getting to each other. Well, obviously Nettie was waiting like a spider for Corinne to drop dead so that she could hit up on Samuel. That's what it appears to be like. And on top, I mean, did, yeah. in the book, I mean, I'm not so even clear with the movie. Did okay, what's her name? Begins with a T. Uh, Tishy. Tishy, yeah. Is she? Sec do they um, do the the mutilate the female mutilation? She, gets, she she has the female circumcision and okay. she has the um, scarring and the tribal scarring as well. Tribal scarring, I could deal with the female mutilation part. That's that dog ain't gonna hunt. That's just yeah. even so barbaric when you're not supposed to enjoy sex. That way you won't cheat. Well, and that's basically um, why they do it. Um, they did it. Well, I mean, that, this is, I mean, I, I don't believe in female circumcision, but I can tell you for a fact that the women that work with me who have had female circumcisions because they're from Nigeria do have orgasms from their okay. point. That's what they say. So I'm not. But I don't know if there's a difference between tribal female circumcision and having female circumcision within a hospital well, setting. Well, if anybody's going to take a stone tool to my cooter, well, it ain't happening for one, and I'm keeping my legs closed. Oh. Well, I mean, there's no anesthesia. There was no, there's nothing clean about it. I mean, it was just hard. Well, I mean, uh, the male circumcision up until that point was quite well, that's rough just the as foreskin. Well. They're not well, no, but they, there was no, there was no anesthetic or anything like that. No. They, and they didn't, you know, they, you know, when you went to the breast, basically there was blood to be found, and they just cut, and you know, they just cut it around with this kind of scissory kind of thing. Hopefully, it wasn't rusty. So even if it was a guy, I'm still keeping my legs closed. That just sounds painful. Just like, yeah. I mean, as a, we are not a species made to last. We always do the most heinous things to ourselves, to our young, to each other. And I mean, and, and we complain about the animal kingdom. You know, I mean, it, it's. Well, animals don't fuck each other over for a percentage. No, so. they don't, do they? No. No, uh, they don't. For me, it wasn't really like. I like the way he's describing um, when. when well, I wonder why I'm so bad with names. The lady will start with the S. Shag. Yeah. Explain. Well, it's like Silly never kind of discovered her own pleasure or, or her body. And so, but you have never seen uh, a woman naked or, or how is your body? And then she starts to kind of like know what was a masturbation, right? And then she discovered kind of like the pleasure on that. Um, mm. And it was, but it was really like interesting because. For me, well, for what I for read is like the way it described it is really like in an innocent way. Like kind of like she she have a relationship, but well, her um, dad abused her when she was young, but she didn't kind of like never discover how uh, sex how it works. She didn't know that she had working plumbing is what it is because yeah. he never took the time out except to be abusive. And, and physically assault her as opposed to having a real, you know, love effort here. And I don't think she had that. She really technically was a virgin. So Shug wasn't technically off the mark because she didn't know that 
this was going on or this could happen. I mean, a lot well, of people had no idea. But I thought that was also a nice way to sit there and say that unless you've been touched emotionally inside, then you're still you're a virgin. virgin. Yeah, and, I agree and with that. That was quite nice. That was, yeah, that was because for um, society. I mean, the interesting yeah, thing is, like, I think. Yeah. If you have sex with no matter your feelings, kind of like you're, you're not virgin anymore, but it's a different way of, of seeing it. That when I read it, like, she was like, no, it's like, it was like a robot, but I, was, I wasn't in the place. It was like. Mm. I just love watching the evolution of all these women. I don't care what yeah. color they are. To me, it's a story about women facing I mean, in adversity and how I, they, they, they stay together and how they evolve past all this to some extent. You know, mm. like like Sophia. I don't blame Sophia for slugging the man. I would have too. Someone should have knocked his lights out a long time ago. But it, but they, the women do evolve in the novel, and, and and you know they do stick together, even though they're sharing the same man. Which you know, I don't know if women are capable of doing that now. You know, because you have this new rise to feminism that has nothing to do with what the women in this. That's feminism. Well, what the these women were dealing with, as far as I'm concerned. This new shit called feminism is not feminism, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But that was feministic move yeah. in this book. But when, when Celia asked, uh, no, when Chuck asked to see, do you mind if I sleep with, with him? Yeah, yeah. No, because, and then you realize, no, because there was no feeling from her side. She was feeling like it was like, I don't know. Well, is, like, Shug, uh, is Shug bisexual furniture? or is Shug just, she likes everybody? I'm trying to figure it out because she is the she's the sun and everybody's rotating around her in this book. I mean, she's the catalyst for almost everything. I imagine that she was bisexual. And I, what I really like is I, like in the story, you realize that wherever she goes, she's you know the kind of people like kind of like. I think he. I think what you have to do is you have to take you have to take how Alice Walker thinks of sexuality. Alice right. Walker doesn't believe in lesbianism. She doesn't believe in homosexuality she doesn't believe in bisexuality and she doesn't believe in heterosexuality she says you fall you love the people that you love yeah and and i think that and because that seems um, to make perfect sense actually because she's actually against she's she's actually against labeling and titling anyway so i probably that's probably the reason why the color purple doesn't really give anyone a title no it doesn't does it and so it's all about loving you know being with the person you love i mean if you look at alice walker alec walker was married to a man she was she was in a deep relationship with tracy chapman the singer um you know he's got a fast car and all that yeah. they were together for a number of years and you know, and, oh, you know yeah she, that's right yeah so so you know so she's dated various um people male and female, male, female. but but she doesn't but she doesn't believe in labels which i think is quite interesting because it's all about love it doesn't matter what you're in love with it's just that it's just who you're in love with and I think that, I mean, I thought, and I think the color purple probably, because of that's the way she feels, that's probably the reason why it's, nothing's really identified as far as, it's just everything's like, they just love each other. That's it. You know, which I think is a quite a positive message, really. It's a very and, positive message. I, I, I didn't even think of it until you just said that. I'm glad you explained it that way, because that does yeah. put a lot and, of good spin on it, because that's true. She doesn't really go after homosexual or heterosexual or lesbian or well, yeah, well, I don't know when even, I, when, we, even when, when we get to generalization today whether you're, you know whatever gender pronoun you're going to use or whatever you want to call yourself whenever you label anything it's a form of division 
and yes, it's used it as a form to divide yeah. and yes, to make and that's you know and i think that sometimes it's best not to have any labels at all yeah well, labeling doesn't really yeah it's sort of like yeah. labeling you know mentally handicapped people or whatever i mean mm. right then you put them all off into their own little niche so that makes a lot mm. of sense and I, I like that you explained that that way because yeah. i didn't think of it until those terms until just now and i like that thought a whole lot more it's a lot more thought provoking than you're this you're that and you're you yeah. You know, mm. so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What what I love is like in this story, I think is they love that they have uh, Nancy and Cindy is like brothers' love that I think is like is way beyond um, for me in the story mm. about sex and it's like about all that. It's like I would say it sounds poetic, but it's like the two mm. two souls that that get together and, and they love each other. And where it was really for me heartbreaking when they were they, the man was separating them and they're doing that game they used to do. Well, even the- Albert straightens out towards the end too, doesn't he? You know. Yeah, he finds he finds, you know, he finds solace. He understands once he realizes that not having her there and then you know fending for himself and and then he realizes he'd done something wrong. But you know, but I mean, even even the male characters in this do come to do grow as well they do they do reconcile they do become better people and it's like everyone does you know and everyone has a fuller understanding of who they are and where they fit in the world and and they all go to a world of acceptance i mean it's quite interesting that when shug and celia go off with each other you know he's he's you know he 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 doesn't but even albert doesn't go or mr um doesn't sit there and chastises their love for each other at all if anything he he's jealous of it he would want that closeness that's the closest he wants to shug but well, he, he was very it. close to shug though because he was it, 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 he was an attentive lover to her but not to Celie. so he knew he had the moves he just wasn't using them well Celie was livestock and shug was love yeah. You know, and and of course that all changes when you know when you realize that this person who's doing everything for you is no longer in the picture, and you have to do it yourself. And then basically, and then you got, and then you lost this love of your life that you this idealized love of your life, because at the end of the day, Shug enjoys Albert's company. Albert's in love with Shug, but Shug just enjoys his company. And she said that she would never go with Shug because Shug is a product of his father. Right. And right then and there, that Harpo ends up become, almost becoming a product of his father, which, you know, Harpo does break that tradition. Right. So it's right. almost like, you know, learning, you know, do not make the same mistakes as your parents. You need to learn from your mistakes. You need to learn from your parents' mistakes and move forward on your own account. And that's pretty much what, you know, what we learned in the book as well. So. I was know. thinking, don't you think that um, it's called the color purple about thing that you say because. Um, well, you said about that about um, separating kind of people for what they feel, you know. And I have a friend that once I asked him what were the colors in the you know in the in the gay flag, but there's one with they have like a triangle and all that. So then he started to explain something, and they said, oh yeah. And then they added these two lines because another kind of division appeared. And then I thought. I always thought, I don't know if I told him, but I said, well, this, this is for me in one way, what Vicky says, you know, it's like, okay, w- w- where are you in this pattern? 
in, in which in which I don't know color are you? Where are you in the spectrum of sex? So yeah, yeah, and then it's like okay, if you. <laughs> but I said to him, well, but it's really strange because if you are feeling no no this this and that and 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 you say okay, your color is I don't know green okay and green is this 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 and that and then if you have a feeling that probably i don't know doesn't fit in that box it's like a kind of a you are again not belonging there so you're nothing represent you you know it's like and then i thought when while you were talking to get purple i think you have to mix blue and red but yeah. if you see here there are different type of of color that i don't know which one is purple but <laughs> hmm. I was always like, maybe because it's not that one thing or the other, it's like a mixture of, of, of tones. Well, the other thing is, is um, I think the reason why it's the color purple, that though the color purple does stand out in its own, but you kind of, um, no color is worth anything anyway. You need a, you need a color. To make another color. To make another color. And, but you also need, you know, if everything was purple, it's not going to be that special. So you need something. That's right. You, know, you need something. Right ordinary to go against something that's majestic anyway or purple or you know like the color orange is like if everything's white and you got an orange you know picture yeah. in the middle of it all it stands out but if you have all, everything is orange around it and there's no other color you got nothing to have make it stand out and the color purple is means that you kind of stand out from from nature because there's not a lot of purple flowers there are purple flowers but there, there, there's not a regular occurrence not as bountiful as like say reds and greens and right so on and so forth um, I mean, I think another thing that the book does dictate about forward is another thing is that you are not any label anyway, whether it's your nationality, your, you know, ethnicity, your religion, your sexuality, your gender and all this other stuff. These do, none of these things define you. They're just all part of who you are. And they are the makeup of who you are. And, just, and basically, everyone's a diamond. And these are just the facets of that diamond. And I think that's, I think that's kind of what, she, what we kind of get with this message through the color purple anyway. It's just that we're all, we're all so many things that why are we just labeling ourselves as well? You know? And even the women, you know, the only time that they ever talk about being women is basically is when there's things going against them. And then they talk about being women. But otherwise, they're just people. And I think that's what the, the whole, um, you know, when you're an individual, you're all this thing. When you're part of a group, you're this sort of yeah. thing. So, you know, it depends if you want to be an individual or you just want to be part of a group. Is about well, how she was we, kind of, it, was, it really does an evolutionary process with these women, though. They go from being very naive, very innocent, very unknowledgeable to sophisticated in certain ways where they see how the big blue marble spins now and they get it. And they know, I think they know how to survive after that. I mean, it might not still be easy because the world is still full of assholes, but they well, got each other. Well, there's always going to be assholes anyway. So you're never going to, you're never going to eradicate those in the world. So that's, I mean, you, you might as well learn to live with it. Um, but at the same time, I think also what you also, as they're growing, the world's growing around them anyway. I mean, as you notice that the world becomes the a motor smaller cars. place. Well, you know, the cars started coming in eventually, and yeah. yeah, well, and you know, the world becomes a smaller place. The World War One's happened at this point. We're about to go, in, by the time the story ends, we're about to go into World War Two, yeah, which is actually going to bring everything a bit, you know, it's going to make changes in the world. The Industrial right. Revolution, you know, she goes from beating the clothes out, you know, beating the clothes against the rock in the stream, and Making then eventually them. she's. 
you know, she's making them and actually washing the clothes inside sort of thing. She's no longer taking, you know, so there's a lot of changes going on at this time as well, so. suggest what we should do is write the book starting with you craig how many color purples do you give this book i'll give it five color purples leandro yeah five david i'm the same definitely fine vicky i'm gonna give it 4.5 only because some of it was vague you know and it kind of lost me here and there but excellent book about women it really is i didn't see race in it as much as everybody probably would like me to i saw women in it mm. you know it was a story of women because i because it doesn't matter what color you are women did not have an easy road to hoe they just didn't mm. black white red green it don't matter I'm going to give the book a solid five. I think it's a book that should be read by everybody. Um, another yeah. thing is, is also is that it's a book about people and how you grow and how you. I still don't get why everybody was freaked out about the female love thing because we had books out that were far worse than this, and this isn't uh, even a nasty book. That I mean, that's, I, I, they, I think it, I, it. I, I think it has a lot more to do with Alice Walker's politics. It seems. Oh well, yeah, they're so, a little, they're all iffy there. So. But, but yeah. at the same time, I just think I think it's you know I think it's a very very important book. I can understand why it's one of the Pulitzers. Yeah, and I do. Too. I read this I read this book back in 1983 um, because my ex told me I should read it, which I loved it. It and was re never required reading. This is one that was not required reading. No. And, re and rediscovering it now, it means so much more than it did when I first well, read reading it. Well, reading it at this age, as opposed to then, it makes more sense. Now, because I've been towards some, at least I hope. I don't act like it all the time, but my brain does. I kind of, the, the history has unfolded, you know? And so it does make more sense now. Are you looking for a graphic design that will take you to the next level? Or something that shows confidence within a growing market to help you stand out amongst the crowd? Amazing Designs gives consistent and on-brand designs whether you are looking for something conservative or you want to let your imagination soar. They bring professionalism to a high standard and they are able to visualize your ideas and give them that extra edge. Working one-on-one -on -one with their designers will give you a design that will live up to your expectations and more. Affordable, expert designs for all occasions whether it's logos, brochures, or whatever you can dream of. Amazing Designs is your to-go place for creativity and hands-on expertise. Try Amazing Designs today. Contact them via email at amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com. That's amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com or reach out by phone at Crunchy Cold 1 805-203-0427. We love them so much here at the Literary License Podcast that we use them ourselves. But I'd rather be different than be the same. Then it would 
this brings us to The Color Purple, which is a 1985 American epic coming-of-age period drama film directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Menno Majus. Based on the Pulitzer Prize award-winning 1982 novel by Alice Walker, it was Spielberg's eighth film as a director and marked a turning point in his career as a departure from the summer blockbusters for which he had become known. It was also the first feature film directed by Spielberg for which John Williams did not compose the music, instead featuring a score by Quincy Jones, who also produced. The cast stars Whoopi Goldberg in her breakthrough role with Danny Glover, Oprah Winfrey in her film debut, Margaret Avery, Ray Don Chong, William Hugh, and Adolph Caesar. Filmed in Anson and Union Counties in North Carolina, the film tells the story of a young African-American girl named Celie Harris and shows the problems African-American women experienced during the early 20th century, including domestic violence, incest, pedophilia, poverty, racism, and sexism. An example of one of these instances is to, in a specific case where Celie and her sister Nettie had momentarily visited with each other. During this time, their bond grows stronger, which in turn made an almost sexual connection flourish. Time and time again, this would be separated from each other and would find a way to reunite each time they come together. Slowly, Celia is transformed as she finds her self-worth through the help of two strong female, female companions. The film was a box office success, grossing $442 million against a budget of $15 million. The film received a critical acclaim from critics, with particular praise going for its acting, especially Goldberg's performance, direction, screenplay, musical score, and production values. However, it was also criticized with some for being over-sentimental and stereotypical, and was boycotted by some chapters of the NAACP for its depiction of rape. Nevertheless, the film was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Goldberg, Best Supporting Actress for both Avery and Winfrey, and Best Adapted Screenplay, but did not achieve a single win. And Spielberg did not receive a nomination for Best Director. It held the record for the film receiving the most nominations without a win at the Academy Awards since the turning point in 1977. At this stage, it also received four Golden Globe Award nominations with both Goldberg winning a Best Actors as a Drama, Spielberg receiving a Director's Guild of American Award for The Color Purple, and Outstanding Directorial Achievement, and a Golden Globe nomination. The film was later included in Roger Ebert's book series, The Greatest Movies of Our Time. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer of The Color Purple and be right back. The Color Purple. An American story for the whole world. It's about life. It's about love. It's about us. You will always remember, Mr. Shug. Old Mr. Nettie. Harple. Squeak. Sophia. Sealy. You will never forget the color purple. Hey, welcome back to the Jazz Podcast. We're discussing the color purple from 98. 
from 1985. And starting with you, Leandro, what are your thoughts of the color purple from 1985? Um, I really, I love the movie. Um, I love the way he the way the director used different types of um well i studied once in a course that i, that I mean it's like different ways to the kind of like tools to to tell the story for example like using on know how time passes like putting right. the year right like 1913 1930 and the one scene that i love is like when she's in a train leaving after she left yeah. the, her house and there's a girl running and and she saw and, and it's herself when she was young and it's like a kind of like leaving her behind leaving that part of the her life behind like for good um yeah really interesting um the, some characters how they how they appear like in this the scene um personally i i will I think would have been probably in that time would would have been too much, but that that she explained that thing that I mentioned before, like where she was uh, cutting the hair, uh, so so people can understand how she was feeling every time she she had to do the hair for someone that that was connected in her emotions with the um, episode that she had when she was a kid. Um, Yes, I I know I really it, it made me cry. So as I said before, really, really good movie. What about yourself, Craig? What are your thoughts of the color purple of the film? Yeah, I really enjoyed the movie. Um I loved the, the, the soundtrack by um is it Quincy Jones? Mm-hmm. Um but also I love the location shots of the like the, the farming life and um, just beautiful sun shots and even the town and I love the jazz scenes with the jazz music. Yeah, I like that too. Shug, Shug Avery. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really nice. Uh, really, really, really made me laugh. One of the scenes um, in there, and um, I loved the the. There were some really emotional scenes, like well, when the the dad was being. Uh, uh, sexually abusive. That was kind of disturbing, but also the uh, when, lechery. When um, Sophia just plugs, just knocks out that guy. Yeah, uh, that was one of my favorite scenes. But then obviously it had a dark twist, and then she became his maid and had to look after the family. And oh, I know. Then they brought her home one Christmas, like years later, and she was just a complete then she had to leave you saw that coming yeah that, that, really... that idiot woman like all these black men really wanted to overwhelm her in particular mm-hmm. i gotta think of her different victims and but was that was because people are like that people when, are crazy like that when the the mayor's wife was in trying to get she couldn't drive properly and then she started just screaming because the, the other yeah. guys were trying to help her and then right it was like wow i just thought it's a different world that we live in, like, you know. Um, well, I another thing the is that the, the, the mayor's wife, which I found quite interesting, is that she's like these liberal people. Patronizing fools. Well, you know, it's like, oh, I've done everything I can to help you exactly. people. I've done all yeah. this to help you people, but then she acts that way. Mm. Yeah. And, 
you know, and it's, it's quite interesting because what you do have is, you know, you have these people who like, you know, like people who give the charity and spend their time giving to charity. And at the same time, all they do is talk about how much they give. It's like, well, you're not actually doing anything. If you were doing something, you'd be a bit more proactive and more positive about what you're doing. So, so it's all about, um, you know, that, that using that kind of an idealized view of things sort of thing. But, you know, and, if, you know, and the thing is, you know, it's patronizing when we first meet the mayor's wife anyway. It's like, oh, look at you. Look at oh, your children are so clean. Oh, look at this little chubby children. I know. Oh, my God. And you're How like. Patronizing. You they know, still but then, do that. They yeah. still do it. You know, and they, you know, they do it like, you know, with, you know, with anything. It's just like, oh, aren't they so cute? It's just like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. You're, you're, this is someone's children. What? You yeah. Mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of like a, an idea like... She's she's only really like liberal, respectful, and blah blah blah, and it's all bollocks because she wants to have that lady to work for her. She didn't want to work for her. And in the mm -hmm. end, she goes to jail, and then, then in the end, all the loop ends that she ended working mm -hmm. for her. <laughs> like I want and that, the, I want that in that way, and that's the yeah. way. And the weird thing about it, she's like, "Oh, your children are so cute." But the thing is, in 20 years' time, that same child, she's not going to think it's cute anymore. She's going to think of it's a dangerous to her home or whatever. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what's kind of weird about this kind of... And, you know, and it's, this kind of stuff is very much alive today as well. I mean, you see it all the time. It's like, yeah. oh, are so cute. And they're like trying to head over them and everything. You know, I mean, personally for me, I hate children. It doesn't matter what ethnicity or what they are. So I'm okay. You know, I hate them all. So I don't touch anyone's children. But um, and David loves children to know to, 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 to extent. You do. Well, you, love, I, you want a lot of what? kids, David. <laughs> I'm just seeing. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention, David. So I'm taking notes. I promise. <laughs> you know, I find it really odd that Best Picture was out of Africa that year. You know. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen about Isaac Dennison, the the whitest of white, Meryl Streep? You know. Yeah. And as much as I find Whoopi Goldberg's, you know, whatever, distasteful, I do believe that she deserved the, the Oscar. Well, I mean, to be honest, because because she got snubbed for the Oscar for this, I think that's probably the reason why she won for Ghost a couple years later. She Maybe. Seen in Ghost she was actually very good in it, though. She's very good in Ghost, but it's not normal. That's not really an Academy Award. It's winning. not. It's not. No, I think if I have to deserve the Academy Award for this one, but not for Ghost, because in, the in Ghost, she's like a, a second character more than like. Secondary, yeah. yeah. Well, the Oscars do that. If something happens, they snub you one year. Then what they'll do is they'll give it to you another year. And I think that's... <laughs> but yeah. instead of giving it to her for the one she probably deserved it in, yeah. you know, and, and, and I just find it funny that out of Africa took most of the seven Oscars home, and this one was nominated for 11. But out of Africa, the very lily white Isaac Dennison got <laughs> the Oscar for it. So, yeah. Hmm. I just, so, I'm trying to figure out what else was going on. Kiss of the Spider-Woman that year, Fritzy's Honor, The Trip to Bountiful, White Knights, Witness 4, Dr. Charlie Clements. A lot mm. of them, but... I like, know, I like the, the Witness, Witness and, and Cocoon were two um, winners as well. Back to the Future. Mm. Kiss of the Spider-Woman's really actually pretty good, though. Yeah, that's what William Hurt won for that, didn't he? I think. Yeah. And that was dealing with homosexuality in a prison. So. 
Miss Seeley's Blues was nominated Best Original Song. So, but, um, so, David, what are your thoughts about The Color Purple? Um, I really, really like the movie. Um, there was a little bit differences from the book stories. I think it was slightly milder, milder, I would say. Specifically, the sexuality was a little bit less direct in the book, um, which I could imagine because it's obviously going to the cinema to people, etc. Whether in the book, it's kind of like you read it and you know it, and in the movie, they kind of like have to hide certain things or kind of make it be like slightly more hidden, I would say, um, or stuff like that. And it was less raw, I would say. Still, there was still a lot of roughness, but there was a slightly less raw, if that makes sense, um, in the movie. But I really like the fact that I, from my perspective, I think the movie and the story as well, uh, also in the book, was about um, getting away from the labels as well. This, this is my impression. It's kind of like, you know, the scene where she's, she done she basically decides to leave with Shark and the mister basically tells her, well, what are you going to do? You you're not, have no talent, you're poor, you're black, you're a woman, you're ugly. And she's like, yeah, might be, I'm poor, ugly, woman, black, but I'm here. So she's kind of like, that's the moment when she gets away from all the labeling, you know? Um, I think it's kind of like a very empowering instead, like we discussed first uh, earlier about uh, using labeling for separations. and But it, this is also about like a sort of a evolution and kind of like understanding um, that um, she, she's evolving, so she's understanding. She's, she basically pushed, well, kind of led, I would say, uh, by Shark as well, into understanding also her own feelings. So instead of kind of like putting labels and say, okay, so you know, you are gay, so that's your flag, that's your meaning. You are black, so this is your group, this is your... No, she's like, this is about emotion, understanding yourself leading towards the direction of understanding is like a very holistic thing and it's also emotionally uh, included as well so um it's um it's not about emotion it, it, it is about emotion rather than making labels if that makes sense and it's kind of like um that's sort of like I would say the only literacy things that she needs is about learning about write and read rather than understanding this concept is more about understanding um that she's supposed to be able and free to, to be whoever she wants to be, but she needs to learn that one step at a time. And by getting that knowledge also, she's learned to be less passive um, and then being able to fight as well. Um, it's to fight obviously, you know, racism and abuse and sexism, etc. Um, I think it's quite interesting. But also there's, I, I, I love the fact there's like a sort of also evolution about her concept of love. You know, at the beginning, she's kind of like, she's very innocent. She loves her sister. That's about it. But for the sexuality side, she's very like bland and detached. She, she, she's like rude. She doesn't want to feel the love, the, the, the sex or anything because it's weird for her. And then Shag comes in and then she learns that oh, actually sexuality is something normal. She's allowed to feel something. And when she tells her, oh, you're like a virgin then, that's a sort of like liberation from the mister. She's like, okay, so the mister is abusing me or whatever, but I'm still my own woman because I will choose when I can but I'm not a virgin anymore. When I decide that I'll open up, etc. Obviously, she opens up emotionally as well, and um, and then she gets into the community love, as in kind of like women helping each other. There's a different sort of love, you know. And she gets the inspiration for women like Sophia and Shrug, etc. And then 
there's kind of like a parallel as well when at the end she meets the sister again she kind of kind of goes back evolved but she goes back to the innocent love to her sister so it's a kind of like a sort of happy ending i, I just really loved it i really loved it it was nice to see it all come full circle and that there yeah. was a little happiness after all of this trauma and tragedy but Steven Spielberg said he admitted his greatest mistake in directing this film was his lack of courage portraying the lesbian relationship between Celia and Chug. At the time of filming, he feared that overt sexuality between the two characters would alienate audiences. He now regrets that decision. I mean, there, 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 a film as a whole, it's an excellent film. <laughs> Comparing it to the book. I do have a little bit of problems with it. I don't like the idea that um, with Shug Avery is such a powerful woman that she doesn't need her father's love or her family's love. She is right. a independent, strong female character. And the film all of a sudden transports that she needs her father's love. She needs right. her father's acceptance, which I'm not quite sure why they added that in there. Because I, I was wondering because I couldn't find that in the book. Like, no, it's not in the book. It's something that they added. It's almost like, you know, it's like it's like she needs a man's acceptance in order like, to be who she is, and that, and to me, that's not what Chug character no. is about. I mean, it, I mean, if I didn't read the book, I probably wouldn't think twice about it. But for, right. since reading the book, it, it raises that issue, and the end, I have a problem with a little bit because why are Adam and Olivia, her two kids, speaking that way? Considering I that was they're wondering American. that too. You know, they're American. Their parents, um, the, um, Samuel and Corinne, are American. Nettie's American. They're all going to speak with American accents. And they're talking like they just got off the boat from Africa, from some right. third world country. And, it's, and I can understand Tashi sounding like that, maybe. Right. But, you know, you know, and that is just like, like they're just broken English. And the thing is, they were, and they were in Africa to teach them English. So why did they come out with this like African? Like, <laughs> I was wondering that myself. I was wondering, did I miss something here? Because it's a long movie. And I yeah. didn't even know where to go back to in the movie to find why. Yeah, I, mean, I don't like that. I don't know what what kind of direction that was, but I mean, every, and even when I saw this movie back in the movie theaters when it first came out back in '85, I saw I remember turning to um, Brian who I was with, and I'm going, "Why the hell are they talking like that for?" It's <laughs> like, watch, it's like they're American. It's like they're raised in America. They went over there. They're teaching American, basically. You know, I know that they would brought you know they would have brought up you know had tribal people around them and stuff like right. this, and probably learned the language. But I imagine they probably would have spoke English at home, you know, when they were with Corinne and Samuel and with Nettie. And I'm sure that yeah. Nettie didn't, you know, because Nettie, uh, Nettie says in her letters in the book, which they don't really go into in the film, that basically she hasn't really picked up the dialect there anyway or been able to pick up the language and that they always needed someone else to interpret for them. So they didn't even understand the language there. So, so yeah, I found that. Uh, found that a little bit but outside of that outside of those oh and i also don't like in the film from reading you know, because of the reading the book is that the men don't re re um don't grow not and at thought, all not at and all. you know and i think that albert or mister um had a right to sit there and grow and they needed those nice scenes between them to show that he's grown and he's well they kind of this. kind of insinuated at it when he gave the well finding the, back and the money and 
Well, basically, no, I mean, she took the letters. Um, basically, based, what he took, basically, the money he had saved away and then the passports, which is his at, this is part of the film and not the book, to right. bring to bring them over. And this was like his redemption. Right. And then, and so, so you don't have him on the sofa. Uh, you don't have them as now he's part of um, Celia's family because he's been other friends now and they've grown past this and they've both grown In and the they've become better people. Did you guys notice this one part? It's towards the end. I'm just wondering if I saw it or if it was so quick. But she's at her shop, I believe, wherever they ended up, maybe Atlanta mm -hmm. or whatever. And he's out there with a, a you know, a, yeah, with flowers out, and with children flowers and candy or whatever. Was that her thinking of him, or was he actually out there in the rain? Because he's in the rain. I, I think he was there, but the thing is, they kind of turned him into a bit of a stalker. And so the and um so that was which is kind of an odd thing really because because in the book basically what happens is you know he goes to the juke joint and he's and he sees her because now she's a, she's an independent woman now she's moved back she's got her father's house and he's making conversation with her and he does apologize for everything he does and, you know, and he does they have conversations it's just a simple fact that they grow so close together that he asked her to marry her so spiritually and physically. And this is what happens in the book. This doesn't happen in the movie. And I kind of, and I, I would, I would have kind of liked to have more growth in his character because the thing is, we do spend, a, you know, quite a long time with this character being such a horrible person. Well, isn't and, Danny Glover followed up in that next movie? He's the same kind of asshole. And well, uh, Lisa Weapon. Oh, beloved. Beloved? beloved, yeah, yeah, because he's well, kind he, of a douche in that too, so he doesn't get any redemption. Well, any. we'll be we'll be covering <laughs> beloved at the end of the season, so we'll be going into that. But, um, but I don't know. I think about um, two things about what David said about when when they were having the meal, and then she said, "Well, I'm leaving," and then he started to say, "Well, what, what are you going to do without me? You're nothing without me." Was well, this a typically? how people that are is abusive react to other people. They're saying, okay, I bring you everything. Without me, you are anything. So it's, and I think this is like a kind of like, I see it in a different way. This is what he's saying to himself, to her. What I'm going to mm -hmm. do without you, without you, I'm not anything. And in the end, she said to me, it's a kind of like, okay, let's see what we do when you were here alone. Like he goes back to the beginning uh, with all, all the animals inside of the house, the house is a mess. in a shithole because she's not there helping and yes. everything. Else. And I think that what well, you said that he didn't evolve, but I found it that some people, and I know my dad used to be like that, he was a grown up and he didn't raise us up because he was working. So I, uh, first, a, a girl was looking after me and my sister, then he got married again. And he was wanting that kind of my stepmother do the things in the house, but she didn't do it because she has a shop and she was like kind of more independent. But my dad was a kind of like annoyed because she was not, never cooking like good, proper mm -hmm. things, you know. And and it, it's, I, I have discovered that that thing happens, right? Like there's a lot of people that kind of like, you know, grow out, grow old, but not grow out, uh, up. And the emotions are kind of like the same. Because once that you know how I don't know doing doing all the things that Celia was doing yourself, you don't think mm -hmm. the same anyway, you know, like Well, basically what I mean that's basically what that saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And yeah. once 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 a person gets to 
know, not everyone, but there you will find that once people get to a certain age, their ideas of like changing the way their think processes, changing the way that they lead their life, changing their and modifying anything to a new way um, mm -hmm. becomes difficult for them. And the reason being is that we need to realize is as human beings, basically we are all we are all creatures of habit. We do everything the same way every single time, whether you're cutting onions or carrots or whatever, you'll do it the same way every single time. When you get up in the morning, you, you have everyone has your routine. We live by a routine. And it's like if you want to quit smoking, for instance, if you're a smoker and you if you want to quit that, then what you basically have to do is that you have to change your routine. So if you smoke on the way to work and you work, the, if you walk this way to work, you're going to have to move. You're going to have to change the where how you walk work you got to change what you do after your meal times or whatever times and the thing is that it's hard to do that but as you know because we're creatures of habit once you do that over a three to four week period then that becomes your new habit and that becomes your new ritual and it makes it easier unless you you know unless you revert back to old ways quite quickly so when we got him saying that to Celia we also I mean there's two things that kind of happen in that scene is that we got him emotionally blackmailing her because it's worked before because he hasn't realized because now things might have been different if Shug hasn't stuck around this whole time. And the only time that he realized that Celia's changed as a little slight bit is when he when she's going to cut his throat and she, he gets stopped. And that's when he kind of realizes, okay, something's changed here, but he's never quite sure. Oh, man, so, that was so, that was such an intense scene, man. She's just mm -hmm. sitting there just to sharpen in that blade. <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't have blamed her if she gave him a bigger smile at that point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because well, he had it coming. But the thing is, if something happens and she did, she would end up like Sophia anyway. Right, so it's like, right. That stop. But then what we get, though, is that then when we get the dinner table sequence, is that oh, God, yeah. you know yeah. with um with celia opening up and becoming a stronger person first of all that kind of gives the kiss of death not the kiss of death but the kiss of life to sophia that's right. the reason why she acts this way and then all of a sudden it's like oh my god she's standing up for herself so therefore i can be myself and stand up for myself Again. but at the same time with albert um hurling abuse at um celia He's trying to do the emotional blackmail, not realizing that she's actually changed as a person and that this is no longer going to work for him. So he's reverting back to old ways. And with him chasing after the car as, as she's, you know, you know, before, you know, she, he curses him. He, you know, he, he tries it once more as a desperate attempt. And at that point, he realizes that she's become her own person and she grew further than he ever anticipated and he and she outgrew him which is also a reflex um, a reflex that people do and you'll find that in relationships if something happens you got two people in a relationship and one person tends to grow a bit power further than the other person the other right. person is not maturing or growing as fast as the other person and your past hard to divert and and then the you know and the one person's decided that they're going to leave and that you know that they need to move forward and do what you know lead their own life then what you have is a person, when love is gone, there's always one left holding on anyway. So what you do is you got the person and they're going to, instead of like trying to encourage the person to stay, they use a desperate, they use a desperate approach and end up saying a lot of things they probably don't mean or want to say anyway, in order to try to latch on and try to make sure this well, person doesn't leave. If you didn't read leave. the book, you wouldn't think that Shug would be thinking favorably on uh, 
uh, Celie because the first thing she says to her, you show is ugly, you know? And I mean, well, she, to talk about meeting somebody for the first time and that's what you say to somebody, just like, whoa, you know? Well, but, I, but, but then she said that, like, she she apologized and said that, that she was kind of jealous because, um, explain, but that's what I understood. Right. Chef has been with, with um, Danny Glover before he got Off married for the second yeah. time. And they have, two, I think they have two kids. Then, three, three, three yeah, children. And, and then she she suffered because he got married again. Yeah. That 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 wife died. Now he ended with the kids. And then seems that he saw her again. And now he was still in the middle. Right. So they can never get together. And then she said, well, now I realize when, when she realized that he has been hiding the letters, I said, now I realize that I never met that person. That I, I was like kind of in love of something that that I was seeing. There was like few times to get together and have sex and all, but not how the person was deeply, you know, like because hiding the truth and separating two sisters that was mean. Well, Albert is kind of like a high school sweetheart that didn't work out, and even though they never got together, um, then um, he married. I mean, basically, he married the woman to make Shug jealous. So you got that going on. Yeah. Um, and of course, and then when he got Celia, Celia basically now when the wife died, he had no one to take care of his kids, and so that's why he married Celia. Yeah. And and but meanwhile, um, Shug Shug basically is using Albert as a sexual tool anyway. She has no intention of being with him because she knows that she's with him. First of all, Albert is a product of his father anyway, and his own biased father to a certain degree. It kind of goes a little bit into the book and does have a little bit of that in the movie and, and the, as well and so you have that situation and because he can't be his own free man and make his own choices it has to all be about based on his father which it does mirror again when we have Harpo and Sophia where basically Harpo can't seem to get on with his wife or deal with something and he has to keep running back to daddy to find out how he should deal with his relationship which you know if you're gonna if you're gonna go to someone about your relationship problems you might want to go to someone who has more of an understanding of how a relationship should work anyway. Right. You know, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like someone who beats their dog and then, and then basically you're like, oh, I can't get my dog to, you know, I can't potty train my dog. So I'm going to go to the dog beater next door and ask him what I should do. Right. You know, it's probably right. not the, you're not going to get the best advice yeah. in the world there. Oh, is that what Sealy says, beater? <laughs> mm. Well, the th the, I mean, the thing, and this, this again is, is that it's kind of weird because in the book you get more of a context behind that. Here, it just sounds what we have is, is um, basically Celia is je jealous of Sophia because she wants to be that strong person, right. and so she, when she tells Harpo to beat her, it's out of a sense of jealousy, that spoke of jealousy, that because she wants to be like Sophia, right. and she's jealous that she can't be that. What we kind of get in the book is something slightly different. I mean, in the movie, we get something slightly different. We just got to see that some of the beater. 
which kind of gives a different kind of emphasis on this. So we don't really understand why Celia said that. I know. I was kinda, like, what the hell is that all about? Like, yeah, you're like, you're watching the movie, you're going, you're watching the movie, you're like, why? It's like, you just tell someone to beat. I just figured she knew that, that she, you know, that she would kick the shit out of Harpo and she's just like, you know, harboring some kind of, you know, long-term grudge or something. No, I, I think, I think it has more to do. I, I think, you know, this is one of those things. I mean, of course, you know, you can't film word for word of the book anyway, because the movie is over two and a half hours long. So, you know, right. so, I mean, I guess if we did a mini series of it, you probably could put a lot more of this stuff in. Yeah, true. But, but what you got, what you end up losing uh, in like scenes like that is you lose a little bit of contact. So basically, right. we, in the film, what we do is we get Celia and say, just beat her sort of thing. And we don't know the reason why she says this. So it, it, so it does feel a little bit I off. I know, a little it's bit. so random, beat her. <laughs> That's all. Like, oh no, she just did not. But oh, in the yeah. book, when we, be, in the book, when we get that Celia has, you know, she's slightly jealous of Sophia and wants to be Sophia and be that strong woman and makes more sense, you know, and she says it like a flippant, uh, flippant, it's not to be malice or... And I think it's about, like, the power because um, Harpo said, how can I make Sophia do what I want? And then that's Mm -hmm. why she said, okay, beat her, because this is the way she knows but then realized that when, when they said, look, this is not working. She beat me back. So was yeah, it? you see him when he got back? her better and ask the things polite and it, that will work. She knocked the well, shit out of him. He had black well, eyes and everything. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the thing is in the movie, I mean, it kind of plays a bit off because you think to yourself, as you're being beat yourself and you don't like it, why are you advising someone else to beat their wife? So, so it does kind of yeah. have that kind of an odd incantation sort of thing. And yeah, but maybe, you know, but then, you know, maybe they were going for that feel that um, because it's happened to her, she doesn't know any better. But right, right. But I would, but the thing is, is, and this is where I find in the movie, it does go a bit wrong because Celia's never been a bad person anyway. She doesn't have these bad thoughts. No. She's never thought bad of anything. Even when Mr. beaten her, she doesn't say anything bad about him or, or even, even in the book, she doesn't do anything. Yeah. She doesn't understand this is the you know this is the life I'm doing and one day I'm gonna die I'm gonna go to go to glory and this is the way she's living her life and so so I guess and and I guess it's probably kind of hard to portray that more in a movie sort of thing you know to get all the context in to fit it into it. the books what 80 90 chapters they're small mm-hmm. chapters but they're long yeah I mean it's a long book kind of sort of like you can't take every nuance of the book and put it in here. But yeah. I would have liked to have seen a little more from Squeak because she had more going on in the novel. She was kind of like pretty well, Ray you, Dodd Chong over here, you know? Yeah, well, in the book, you and Squeak had a lot in common because she was a pothead. Yeah, well. <laughs> she made a lot of money. <laughs> I, 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 actually, you know, going back to the book a little bit, I thought that was really interesting that they were like had a marijuana farm and everything like that. They're just like, you know, Squeak was just high all the time. It's like, and well, that shit got, was up as she was, but I mean, Celia got high as well. Celia well, liked to get high every once in a while as well. So the chicks, so it's like they were, they had the little marijuana parties going on. Yes, but it gets them closer to God. I'm more in a state of grace than y'all. Well, I know. I've been to Jamaica. I know how close you get to God of marijuana. So. <laughs> uh, what, if, what about Neti um, excursion to Africa? I thought that was very well handled, how they were able to position it back and forth and be able to and show... They took their time getting there, though. I mean, because in the book, 
she finds out a little earlier than Thanksgiving than that that the letters were there. So I mean, the, I mean, there's I, I wanted a little more context for that. And they didn't go into her being with Samuel in the movie, I don't think, unless I blinked and missed something. Well, they kind they don't really go into detail, but Samuel's there with her, and so you're kind of I guess because, I mean this I I read the book first and rewatched the movie, so I don't know if I fed in that I already know that Samuel was the you know if they mentioned anything in the movie or did I just make that assumption from reading the book? So in I the don't... movie, are they all living at her new or her new home? But her inherited home, did everybody move in there? Is that what's going on? I think that Sophia and Shug are visiting. I think Shug's probably staying with her and having doing some muff diving with Celie every <laughs> once in a while. But, uh, but <laughs> I think that, um, I, I mean, I, I, I believe that Nettie and her, her, I mean, Celia's children, because they know that Olivia and Adam know that Celia's their mom. She does tell them. And the, the new daughter-in-law, I think they probably all end up living in the homestead that they grew up in. You know? It is totally related to the Thanksgiving dinner. When hasn't that happened to everybody? It's just like at a Thanksgiving holiday or something. Just like, fuck all. Just y'all getting on my nerves and this is the way it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, it's always at Thanksgiving. Uh, well, they don't have Thanksgiving here, so it happens here around Christmas time. Christmas, around Christmas here, here. time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Christmas after this. Thanksgiving is usually the, the crazy holiday over here. You know, it's like everybody gets together mm -hmm. and you got that one uncle just decided to have a snoop ball before he all sit down for dinner. <laughs> or aunt. But but saying that, um, and I mean, there's some quite, there's some nice, um, you know, compositions and changes with the scenery and stuff like this. And I mean, this is something that's not in the book, which I think the the movie does better is the education of Seeley. Right, it, you does, know, for, it does. You know, the read, the special thing with her, you know, sisters and. Um, and then you know, learning to read, and then using visually, visually, it was stunning film. And and using Great Expectations as a catalyst for the education of Celia as well, because Great Expectations and Celia's life have a lot in common with the character Pip and Celia. So that was quite of a nice little. This was Whoopi Goldberg's first movie, I guess, introducing Whoopi Goldberg, right? Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg at this time had a so live. Oprah's first film too. Yeah, well, Whoopi Goldberg was found basically because she was doing a live on Broadway yeah. show at that moment. And if you ever seen it, it's fantastic where she plays six different characters and it's just her. It's a comedy, comedy, sad as well, depressing, she, but funny. And right. And she does I mean, all that. I mean, she changes from like one character to another and she doesn't change her clothes. She's on stage all the time. Right. And she'll just like move her body a certain way and just change her body and make some of this character. And then Oprah was basically just a Chicago newswoman. And then she basically went, wanted to do this before her talk show. She had lived all the lines uh, that when she was talking to Whoopi Goldberg at the Thanksgiving thing. Mm. And I guess after that scene, Goldberg walked over to Oprah and gave her a hug and told her that now she finally became an actress. She goes, what are you talking about? She goes, this is your first movie too. So I guess this is like a first for both of them. Yeah. Apparently. And, and uh, Steven Spielberg uh, said it was his first serious film. He would not have been able to do Empire of the Sun and Schindler's List without using this movie as a stepping stone. Mm. So Schindler's List was an amazing movie, by the way. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh. 
I mean, I think Spielberg did an amazing job, really. I, I think I, I, I think I think it's fantastically cast. You yeah, know? it's beautifully filmed. I mean, the scenery. Mm. You know, I don't know. Did they actually go to Africa or or some of that or? Backstage? No, I don't know. Um, I, I'm I'm kidding. I don't know if it was a backstage. <laughs> they were on the set of Tarzan. <laughs> no, Ray Don Johns. I don't know if Ray Don Chong did not get along with Oprah, or she did, but she said about working with Oprah Winfrey, Oprah is a great brown noser. If you're in a room with her, she'll pick the most powerful person and she'll become best friends with them. When we worked with her, she was that, oh, I hate to say that, that fat chick that was the wannabe cheerleader that was the student council president that was best friends with the principal. Clearly, she did not, she had much respect for Oprah. But she said she's boring because ultimately Oprah is all about Oprah. I did not know that there was that kind of stuff going on on the set. Okay. Um, not to be everybody honest, loved each other. I feel well, I mean, most people who have worked with Oprah Winfrey in the past or who, uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of a common thing that people do say about oh, her. She was not a happy person to work with. Okay. Yeah. Not that she's not a happy person, but she 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 aligns herself with the most powerful people in the room. Like the Wein Weinstein. So so if something happens as if you're friends with her and you go to a party with her and she sees someone that might be more powerful than you, then she'll ignore you. That's what she's known for. So like Harvey. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, her and Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> Even the color purple and out of Africa has something in <laughs> something in common. I just can't believe out of Africa. Well, I think at that time, I mean, I don't think they would have given Spielberg one anyway, because the Oscars are quite a political affair anyway. They don't necessarily yeah. give things to the best thing. And at that time, Spielberg was king of the blockbusters. It was like, no, I mean... If you look at the well, like he was e starting to be. I mean, he just done. Well, no, I mean, he got he was the king of the Starbucks. If you look at his eight films that came out, they were the number one blockbuster smashes: Indiana right. Jones, E.T., Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, and you know That's every movie and every movie that he was making was number Back to the Future. Right, every movie right. he was hitting, and it, it was the blockbuster feature. So, oh my God, this guy's too popular making too much money so we're not going to give him an oscar because the oscars are about art it yeah. was it was made after this movie or before before but well, come on you can't they cannot say that there's not art in visual art in this movie i i, I, be, I no, it's, 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 not, end, it's not about visual art it has it's about um it's about it's about struggling for your art or being artistic and the thing is if you're known to make a lot of money if you're like an artist that makes a lot of money, then you sometimes you're not considered um, you're not considered as serious as a struggling artist making making art. Yeah, it's no it's along those lines. It's not it's not, I'm not it's not I don't think this film's not a work of art. I don't agree with that. But when people vote for things, that's how they vote. Yeah. Didn't you guys get frustrated with this movie though a little bit because Shug was like these everything was about her and the world spun around this one woman. It was almost like everybody was a satellite, you know? But no, but I like it because if you think there, there are people in life that are like that, that it's not that they want to be the center, but no matter what they do, they, they end up being the center and carry right. all the things. I don't know if you if you know what I mean. I mean, she was kind of a... I have the that impression even when she entered at the first beginning in the book and she entered in the house, 
Like everything has to be, you know, like, oh, someone is coming. It's important. And in the movie, you see, for example, that there's a picture of, of her in his... Um, right. Well, yeah, when they, he, he, he finished to have sex and then there was a portrait with her picture there, like kind of like movie. And then, then you understand why, because he, they have history before. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I didn't see much like that. Well, she was a, a famous artist, so it's like, in a way, she needs to have that thing that, that you say to, is that what she wants to, they, her image, right? Well, it's, yeah, I also think that Shug is also the ray of sunshine that enters Celia's life. So whenever Shug comes there, Celia has sunshine and lightness in her life because, you know, first of all, Mister's not beating her anymore when Shug's right. there. Um, and she brings this life into a home that where there's no life. I think it's funny how they're both excited when they see that she's coming and they're all getting prepped, prepped, prepped up for their for their person. I guess she's a golden unicorn at this point, you know? Mm. And I, I just thought it was kind of comical. They both got excited that she was coming and here she is, she brings a new man in with a brand new car, you know? So clearly she was and doing then, okay. And then both of them, both of them are, are standing each other and both look like sad. Yeah. Both of them love her. But well, he didn't know that that Siri was in love uh, with her too. But they like both disappointed because now she got married. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cute too, and kind of fascinating how she didn't when she first gets there to their house. Jug doesn't want nothing to do with anybody. I don't know if she's lit or seven sheets to the wind or whatever. But she throws that tray out because he can't cook. So she goes downstairs and cooks for her and brings up that tray. And all she does was she grabs the food and throws the tray out. I don't know. I liked that scene for whatever reason. I just did. I thought it was pretty good. And I like the idea about um, Celie's smile. Oh, she always covering up her face when she smiles. Yeah, yeah and then, really. And then, yeah. and then being pulled away and having to look at herself and examine herself so that for she's rediscovering herself. I thought that was quite well done. I do wish they would have gone into the relationship more with that because it would have given the, the person watching the movie a little more context. Clearly, we know there's an attraction there. It's not, you know, just a mercy, mercy dive, is it? Or whatever. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean it, it did come across a little bit like that, unfortunately, in the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to hit this lesbians thing again when we do fried green tomatoes because that yeah. is more, you know, that's again something they kind of hit upon but didn't really. They hit on that and they still, they, they just missed the mark on the movie, too. The book is totally different. Yeah, but I mean, so. it goes kind of there. But I mean, it's just something. I guess, I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Is female love for females that a you know? I guess is it disgust people? Is it just going to be controversial? Because for the most part, what we're it it really is in the book. It's it's makes perfect sense. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it has a lot to do with making sure you get your money back and make the money that you need to make at the box office to pay for the movie. It's right. probably a lot to do with that. And in '85, we are in the middle of a conservative. I'm trying to think. Generation. I'm trying to think of any movie or book that I read that came out in '85, '86. I was in college then. Was there anything controversial that people freaked out about back then? I'm trying. I mean, you, you did have like you did have AIDS films coming out, like Parting Glances with um, Steve Buscemi and things like that. They were kind of hitting on the AIDS crisis, but they were very, very independent kind of films. There's a lot right. of independent things like Below the Radar, not Hollywood pictures. Right. Like Hollywood would never really go into like major gay characters until um, Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. 
you know, I have a, I have that you mentioned about that about the lesbian relationship. I have a friend. I was really surprised because once we were chatting, I don't know, and then and then she said, "But did you know that she said two gay people together, um, they look disgusting?" I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Like," and she said, "Well, if if you have two men together, that that that's she said that that's wrong." And and I said, "Well, what if you have two women together, is it is right?" And then she said, "Well, looks more armo- uh, with more harmony," and I was I was like. Wow, and the problem, <laughs> because he was she was saying if you think I don't have no answer for that myself. But she probably can't figure out where the plug is going into what hole. I guess that she gets a bit confused. I don't know, but what, what I thought is like okay, so this is your concept about that, and I was really surprised. And then what I say this because I imagine that. Uh, what a society in 1985 and the 90s and even now probably if they if they they would have shown you for example when uh, Sean and, and Cindy were having the same sex or discovered their sexuality probably people at that time we kind of like accept it because it was more like well there was a couple there were a couple of Hollywood films that came out around the same time there was making love with Kate Jackson and right. Harry Hamlin about um, her husband comes out gay and ends hey. up with a male relationship and he leaves the wife and that flopped badly at the box it office. It did flop bad. I guess nobody wanted to see it back. And they don't want to see that stuff now. I guess people just don't care what's going well, on in the bedroom or don't want to see it. Well, we, I think we we quite advanced now and our you know we we, oh, we right. advanced a little bit more. I mean, we, we're we're seeing. I mean, there there are gays and lesbians everywhere on television right. and commercials and stuff like this. It's, you know, there is it's part of our fabric of time now, right, sort of thing. right? And they're kind of all kind of brought together. Um, as, and then before this, there was also a lesbian film called Personal Best starring Muriel Hemingway, which flopped very badly as well. Yes, it so, did. So that was imagine, Muriel Hemingway. That could have yeah. been her. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't have been, might not have been the script at all. You know. Yeah. I don't know what I, what I, what I think is like because you were saying that and it's like, I know that for example, I don't know what at least in in the Argentina I grew up, right? Mm-hmm. There were certain programs that if, if there were two girls kissing each other, it was found like more like sexy, but it, but you never see two men kissing each other. Well, another thing I guess you need to remember that as females kissing each other and stuff like this, in a straight man's world, this is quite acceptable because most of the yeah. world has women, yeah. uh, normally has a female's lesbian. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it gets totally, gets totally, some, it's totally takes on another form of whatever. Guys like it. Yeah, so, now, the, now the problem basically is, well, just as long as they look feminine and very pretty. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're, I'm not, you know, you, you'll, you'll never get the Diesel Dyke love scene. In anything, uh, and not in a straight porn anyway. Um, but then when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to the business of filmmaking, it's a male-dominated business anyway. So if men feel uncomfortable about seeing two men um, kissing or having sex, but yet they find it more titillizing to have lesbians 
getting off with each other or for two females because that's what they're used to you end up seeing a lot of that and you do you know you do have stuff like lesbian vampire killers and right. you know the lesbian you know lesbian women of the ss uh, ss nazis and <laughs> all these and you do have like <laughs> yeah. you do have the, you do have and, and you always have like these lesbian scenes and the and the camera always sends a gaze really lovingly on the female form anyway i mean yeah you know, yeah yeah and when it gets the male nudity it's like oh no 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 so you're lucky if you see that you, you can even see a man's ass in most movies sort of thing yeah, i mean it's, i know it's, it's cultural, involved- everything on women you get to men it wasn't you know when i first i, I was like wow i think i was watching uh, not gladiator but it was a uh, spartacus on netflix and it was just it was wall-to-wall full frontal gorgeous men watch all four seasons of it <laughs> Well, we got that. Again. Well, I mean, and that, that all that all kind of changed into between about two thousand five is, and then yeah. we started seeing more male movies. I was movies. like, "Holy cow! I've I've just never seen full frontal males on anything until I turned that on. You hardly well, ever see it." And I mean, now now it's like a normal staple. We don't even blink at it. I mean, look at um, Game of Thrones had a lot of male nudity as well. Oh, you always yeah. you always saw like tallywhackers running around there, and then um, and then you know now we now on Netflix and. It's kind of a regular programming. I mean, Elite's got a lot of right. nudity, male and female, and homose- there's homosexual love scenes and everything now. And you know, we 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 well, we they found the out there's program. a whole audience to appeal to. You know, well, there's a lot of people out there that want to watch their well, form of love on on screen. So. Well, it, basically, it goes forward with things like it, it has to do with shows like Queer as Folk, um, either the UK one more, but more in the American wide with Showtime's Queer as Folk. Where basically it's like the first episode was very, very eyebrow, you know, eye raising. Yeah. To ver- I mean, to the point it where was I like was the even... L word. It was the same thing. It was actually yeah. a good series. Women, and people more, were and more and more people watch that. It. And then, and then to bring in homosexuality and make it a more acceptable viewing is then with things shows like Will and Grace, making it seem like these, you know, basically you take a bunch of gay people who are very asexual anyway. I mean, I don't think I Will, know. I don't think Will and um, his friend ever had sex with anyone. He never right. saw them in bed together, but yeah. it did bring it did bring it to like a mass audience that made it more acceptable. And now we're living in an area where we can now we gone move to the next step into the next step into the next step. So now it's you know these taboo things are no longer taboo. And to be honest, we were started in this direction in the seventies anyway. But then when the AIDS crisis happened in nineteen eighty, that killed the whole gay the gay yeah. acceptance thing, and they kind of set everything back. And now we're moving forward again. So, yeah. so we'll be fine unless some kind of sex epidemic happens again, and we'll see where we go from there. Uh, so. They were trying to push a couple of them to get things going, but that didn't pan out. <laughs> but another thing, uh, but another thing is, is that um, you know, another thing we'll need to watch out for as well is that now that we're all entering a recession um, system as well, that recession brings conservatism. When conservatism brings in God, when it brings becoming God, we might end up gliding back a little bit because you know we're we can't feed our families because we've turned our back on god and sometimes yeah. that does happen we had that happen in the 20s was very overt i think know, there's a lot of conservatives that are there from all walks of life now i don't think it's just i think if people are just going holy shit we got to slow down i don't think it's just for first well, no, but but, but we but we do but we do see it with like an economic downturn and stuff like this. But then we go back to that, and then when everything's good again, then we tend to go more. You know, we go one way, and then we right, and the society right. tends to move back and forth. How, I don't all, think it we're all hangs go, on how we. I don't think we're gonna backslide on that again. I, we just, won't back. We won't backslide, but we will. 
we'll take a couple steps back. It's always two. It's always three steps forward and two well, steps back. Well, it's because so. of individuals. It's sort of like anybody. You get a couple of squeaky wheels out there that are just so full of whatever, you know, and they're the ones that put the halt to movement, you know, or things that are actually going in the right direction, and they hold it against a whole population. So. You know, we'll get some mad mothers who are basically going to be upset about their children watching too much violence or something, and then we step back again. So, yeah, that's just the way life goes. Let's rate the color purple the film. Starting with you, David. How many stars do you give the color purple? Mm-hmm. 4.5. I like more the book, to be honest. I was a little bit more direct yeah. in certain topics and more open about it. Then the movies was more like all the masses, so it's kind of like yeah. a slight step back, I would say. I love the movie, don't get me wrong, but uh, sorry, the, the movie, but I love the book much, much more. And I never read the book. This was the first time I'm reading it, so I really liked it. My very tough, Leandro. Uh, well, it's a Spielberg six. This <laughs> was uh, Spielberg. You like Spielberg, do you? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I love. Uh, I like. I like him as a director. No, I really like the the story. I know that there are um, some parts that are in the, as all right. are in the book that I think are better tell that in 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 the book than in the movie. But I know that at the same time. The, in the movie, sometimes you need to adapt because um, to make the when you watch it like clear, right, or mm-hmm. explain in a different way. But I don't think that that they did a massive change in the story. You know, sometimes they I don't know the director go to whatever and then right. you say, "Well, wait, the book was totally different." In this case, no. I love the scenes. I love, as I said before, you know how he was using, for example, no. Uh, we were we were in USA and then started a new scene in Africa with the giraffe running, and I really liked that. That oh, for example, there was one moment that she was about to cut her her uh, his throat. Yeah. And at the same time, there was a ritual in in Africa. Yeah, Both I liked that. I forgot about that. I loved that segment. Both things were moments where something was going to happen. Both with knives, and yeah. then that was really really like it. And the end. I had you wondering, right? <laughs> many cry a lot when they were both old, but connecting again and playing like when they were kids. So, yeah, six. Mm-hmm. What about yourself, Craig? Um, I'll give it five. Um, I love the scenes in Kenya and Nairobi with the, the giraffes and the rituals. And I love the, the it's a poignant film, touching on women's rights, sexuality, um, and um, even the ending reminded me of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, when when the sisters were reunited with each other, and that was one of my favourite scenes. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's keep doing pat a cake. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, what about yourself, Bix? How many um, stars do you give it? I kind of with David, um, probably four point five. Because 
there was a lot, there's a few things I just wish he could have gone into a little more. I mean, like, like Albert or Mr., whichever you want to call him, he did kind of evolve too. And they kind of left that completely out. They insinuate it. But as far as, you know, it's a typical vintage Steven Spielberg, panoramically and otherwise, he does, he puts out a good film, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he knows how to use that camera. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was, it's hard to, to dislike it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's a, it's a great story about women, you know, and fighting adversity. I'm going to give it four and a half. Why? Why? But, um, no, but I really like <laughs> I'm gonna give it four and a half. Um, it's only because it's compared to the book. The book is so fantastic and it's everything everything just kind of flows and all the characters grow and all the characters have trajectory and growth. And the film kind of loses a little bit of that, though it does what it does lose, it does gain. I think the beginning of the movie adds more than the book does, especially with right. Nettie and the, the relationship between the two sisters and and the advance uh, that Nettie does against, um, you know, that Nettie has when a mister tries to push himself on her and the breaking away and the separating of the sisters. And that's in the film, that's a lot stronger in the film than in the book. But then I kind of wish that they could have kept that strongness in for the ending of the book to give it that more of a, you know, I would love to have Mr. And that, that, that relationship between um, Sophia, I'm sorry, Celia and Albert together on the porch and, you know, and the family show up and, and that, that whole change, that whole thing that there's peace and love and everything's moved forward. And I would love more of that movie, but so I'll give it four and a half so. If I hadn't read the book, I would have given this a solid five. So there was definitely more of a story there, though. You know, he could have probably gotten away with a little more, but it was already two and a half hours long. So, you know, precisely. This is the end of the Literature License Podcast. Next month, we'll be covering To Kill a Mockingbird and the film with Gregory Peck. And, of course, next week, we'll be covering our Batman anime series. We'll be covering The Feet of Clay, part one and part two, and two other episodes of Batman. And our make-remake will be Scarface from 1932 and the Brian De Palma Scarface remake from 1983. And, of course, m M&M, Monsters and Madness. We're going to be dealing with pedophilia once again because we love our pedophilia films with the movie M from 1932 by Fritz Lang and Badlands about a couple getting together and going on a murder spree, which is something we also love here at the Literary License Podcast. That's right. Yes. Murder, love, and pedophilia. That's us. All that's us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm going to do is say goodnight to you all so goodnight for myself, goodnight Leandro goodnight everyone goodnight David goodnight goodnight Craig goodnight everybody and don't forget you can check out the, the Doctor Who podcast which will be covering the Keys of Marinus next oh week. yes I forgot that as well 
Oh yeah, Doctor Who, which will be on. Uh, it's the third week of each month. With us when that podcast will be out. And, and make sure you check, check all my shit out on Craig's World on Etsy. Don't forget. <laughs> and good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. Take care. And don't forget to go to our website at www.llpodcast.com and join up with our newsletter. We'll have all the information about what's coming your way in this month and the following month. Thank you. And it's good night. Keith, yep. you, can, you can even ask Alexa to play Literally Licensed Podcasts and she goes straight to it. What was that, yeah. Craig? Yeah. If you, if Alexa and Google and all the um, um, voice activated, if you tell them to play the Literary License podcast, yeah. it will play that for you. And the reason why I had to whisper that because mine will go off and start. Mine playing. will too. I was sitting there when you said that. I was like, <laughs> oh man, she's going to start talking. <laughs> so. And so we'll see you next week for Batman the Anime Series. We'll be covering Peter Clay and his good night. Teacup, star,
This is the youngest us ever fed. 